Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel or in episodes like today, we specifically talk about Doctor Doom. This entire episode is about Doctor Doom. Nothing else is going to happen but us talking about Doctor Doom. I'm your host, Alice. I'm Alexis. And I'm Anne. And we are joined by none other than Mr. Worldwide himself. Evan Von Doom. Dale. Ah. Oh! Just, just, just start singing Fireball. Another one. Beginning to end. Yeah! Another one. Another one. Another one. Hi, guys. It's me. Picture that with a Kodak. <laughs> There's all the Pitbull Thank stuff so I know. Much. Fast and Furious. And that, yeah? Yeah? He's in one of those. Well, you know, anybody watch Kim Possible? He, he was in Kim Possible. Remember that? Smart? No, remember that he did that song. Uh, he had the song about him, Naked Mole Rat. What is that? It's a little freaky thing. Pissed off. He's a Naked Mole Rat. That was Pitbull that sang Naked Mole Rat. No, he just looks like him. Hey guys, it's me, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you had that, sir. You had him. Oh my god. Oh my god. I didn't think that bit was gonna go that far, but I like it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> folks it is the first wednesday of the month and if you are a long time listener thank you if you are a first time listener extra thank you sorry that this is your introduction but we are bringing home our coverage of jonathan hickman's marvel saga that we begun back in january with fantastic four by jonathan hickman episode one we went through four episodes of that, five episodes covering his Avengers and New Avengers run, and we are bringing it all home now, 10 months later, with his comic book event with Esad Ribic, Secret Wars, parentheses 2015. What many consider to be the greatest comic book event of all time. If you're unfamiliar with the show, our dynamic here is I'm the lovable goofball, all right? Anne is the brains of the operation and the sort of the heel of the podcast, okay? So whatever the rest of us are doing, she is playing the villain. Alexis, get a load of this. Picture a Furby that is handed a comic book for the first time, and that Furby is going to tell you all of its opinions about these comic books. And Evan? Mm-hmm. We lost Dallas. He froze. <laughs> no, he's just thinking. But boy, does he him think every time. <laughs> he doesn't even know. <laughs> Let no him idea. cook. Right now, he's doing the best bit of his life, and we're never going to hear it. <laughs> he's riffing. He's rapping. He's you know, it's, it's... bobbing and weaving. It's happening on his end. So. <laughs> yes, he was, Your Honor. He was <laughs> bipping, bopping, and weaving. And that's the Comics Collective, folks. So we're going to roll... We're going to roll right into initial thoughts on Secret Wars. We're going to start with Alexis. We're going to go to Evan, Anne, and then I will round it off. Alexis, talk to us about Secret Wars as our first-time reader. This Furby has a lot of not complex thoughts, 
but I think they're still good thoughts. <laughs> I thought this was so fun. So fun. I was like, oh, see, you know, Marvel has good notes on how to make interesting things. They just have chosen to ignore them um, in their movie making department. Because I was like, if this shit would have been on the big screen, holy mother F, it would have blown everybody's minds out of the water. We think that anything they did up there was impressive. Wrong. Wrong. This is the coolest shit I've ever read in my entire life. Dr. Doom is God. That's all I have to say. I told Evan before we got on here, I cannot believe he was holding out on me of how cool Dr. Doom was. I cannot believe that. He just chose not to tell me that. This entire time, we've been doing this for 10 months, and I'm like, yeah, this guy's okay. Mm-hmm. But what, what was the moment, Alexis? What was the he's that guy moment? Just when he was sitting on his big tree throne, I was like, yeah, that's that bitch. <laughs> or That's how a god sits. It's true. It's true. Like, he just has that energy about him that he just knows that he's that bitch. Just knows. He just hits him with on your knees. Like, <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> if, if you insist. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but no, this is very cool. I loved, it just is like such a crazy idea. And I also like, while I was reading it, was imagining everybody in 2015 when this was happening, like in real time, I was like, oh my gosh, everybody was probably shitting their pants. <laughs> like, Lex, Lex, they canceled Marvel comics for a summer. I know. There That's were no crazy. other comic books from Marvel that didn't have to do with this. Stress. Stress. See, I know what happens, and I still got stressed for everybody. I know the comics come back. It's incredible. Good stuff. 10 out of 10. (laughs) And? Oh, I thought Evan was up next. I could go. Whoever's supposed to go next. I'll go next. I love this comic. It's the best comic period of all time. Like best like event comic of all time. There's no equal. I've heard people try to say that it's not as good as we want it to be and blah, blah, blah. And they're all wrong. It's a great comic. Everything building up to it was awesome. Everything wrapped up in an awesome way. It felt like the end of the Marvel Universe in a huge, huge fashion. And I mean, what else can I say? When you start, like when you end the first issue with Marvel... 616 from 1960 whatever to 2015 marvel ultimate universe you know 2001 to 2010 r.i.p that's crazy like that when when i was reading for the first time i remember as a kid i was reading this like month to month following the avengers following new avengers following avengers leading all up to this i was also reading deadpool at the time and that was leading into this somehow and i was like yo are they actually gonna are they about to reboot at the same time, like three years ago, before this came out, you had the reboot with DC. So everyone was like looking at Marvel, like, what are you going to do next? And so now you have this big, like, end of the universe event. And you're like, and all the books just stop. And you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Are they actually going to, like, reboot the Marvel universe? And then they're like, we just rebooted the Marvel universe for this event. And I was like, oh, my God, they're rebooting it. It was a scary, crazy time. But it was so fun to catch up every single month. Being like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And the build up. The character drama, the, the fact that it all ends with like Reed and Doom just beating each other up. 
also there's a scene in there where like Black Panther and Doctor Doom are fighting, and Doctor Doom's just like, "Yo, if we're gonna be gods, let's be gods." So they start duking it out, and the first thing they do is get into giant mechas to punch each other. That's awesome. This is the best comic of all time. Anyone who disagrees is, I don't know, a Carol Danvers fan, and maybe that's about it. <laughs> because she gets nothing to do. She supports Mister Sinister of all people, and that's about it. But you can't say she didn't do something in this comic this time. She actually did do something. So, you know, kudos to that. But rather than that, you know, the, the it's really cool. It's very fun. Doctor Doom is the goat. Reed Richards is such a fun character. And I'm just so glad we live in a time where we get to read this. There's so many people who stopped reading comics way before this or who never picked up a comic or who won't pick up a comic for 10 years from now. And a lot of these people just will never experience this comic in any form of the way, let alone the way it was intended to be, which was like month by month or in this binge read that we did. They'll just read the event or they'll read one run up to it. We read the whole experience and the whole experience is something you cannot beat or match with any type of experience anywhere else in the comics world. So any negatives I have are just blown so much out of the water. I could go on a rant about how Sue Storm didn't get shit squat all to do in this. And that made me very annoyed. But at the end of the day, that's like a 0.01% of something. No matter how passionate I am about that as a negative, there's so much else that goes on this entire run that it all that it all just feels so good that I can't even I can't even like waste I don't want to say waste time, but I can't really waste too much energy complaining because I just want to talk about how great it is, because that it's that good. And also just so everyone's clear, I told Lexi time and time again, every time I'm on this podcast, that Dr. Doom's like the best character of all time. <laughs> Literally, we'll be talking about I'm... Gwenpool, and I'll be like, Dr. Doom, by the way, is <laughs> a great character. Do we talk about him yet? He's not even in that comic, wow. technically. Alexis, um, do you remember when he wore that woman's skin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's before run we read? Yeah. That should be the moment where you're like, he's the one. <laughs> Eat the joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is the craziest guy I've ever interacted with. Yeah. And we no. didn't even read Book of Doom yet. No, I knew he was that bitch when he wore a whole face mask over Scratch. <laughs> That's no, when Lexi, I knew that he was that Lexi, bitch. Lexi, you got to keep the gaslighting going. Evan, you're acting really crazy yeah. right now. I've never heard you talk about Dr. Doom so before. So emotional. Damn. Not even once. So emotional. It's, it's getting kind of crazy. Are you feeling okay? You're both going to get very great gifts this Christmas. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you just get them the same Dr. Doom omnibus I got you. <laughs> everyone you know gets a Dr. Doom omnibus. <laughs> yeah, the omnibus you got me is what I'm going to say to everybody. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. go. That's all I gotta say. Everybody, read Secret Wars. Also, side note, read Revival by Stephen King. I just finished that. (laughs) It's also a great book. Okay, so I'm gonna go next. Um, I feel like part of Evans was kind of targeted. I'm not sure who specifically, but I feel like there's a little bit in there that was like, you know, a specific person. I hope whoever that person is out there that they... um, you know, they read this book and they still enjoyed it, despite what everyone thought they were going to think about this book. But that would be, you know, that would just just hoping for the best, just hoping for the best. Um, you know, I got to mm, Dallas mentioned at the beginning, I have to be the heel of the podcast. And, you know, I really, truly and honestly think that this is it, it's not what I want to do. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to bring down the, the vibe or anything. But um, if no one else is going to say, it, I'm going to say it book fucking slaps i don't know what (laughs) i don't know why i've only read this twice in the last eight years it's it's crazy it's it's a fantastic freaking book um it's not 
perfect, but it is so, so fun. And um, if Comixology could get its shit together and stop making me skip issues every time I read through the stupid thing, that'd be fantastic. Um, I don't know. I just had an absolute blast. There was a time when I was getting into the comics and it was like the event comics were all that I would read. They were like the gateway drug. Like I started my DC reading career. I, I read the um the first arc of Justice League and Aquaman getting in that way. But then I'm like, you know what? I need some more just of these characters. I would need I need like a sampler platter. So I got Infinite Crisis. I got Crisis on Infinite Earths. I got Blackest Night. I got Sinestro Core War. I just got like any and every single event I could get my hands on. And I went over to Marvel and I did the same thing to, you know, probably a, <laughs> a lesser um, effect reading things like um, fear itself and secret invasion and civil war definitely gave me a, a different taste in my mouth than a lot of DCs, but it was like, it, it's a great way to just take a look at what this universe has to offer and just different things you might be interested in. Um, and I remember when Secret Wars was coming out, like everyone else said, there's, there's nothing I can add here. That's any, any different. I, I wasn't sure what Marvel was going to do. I thought we were going to get the, the Marvel new 52 after, after it ended. I thought it was just going to be like, well, that, that's a wrap. Keep it going. Um, I'm very glad they didn't. I, I kind of wish that this comic did have a little bit more of an actual effect, but I also respect the uh, the idea that this could come and go and you could just keep enjoying your comics like normal. It's just like, it's it's a false alarm. There's nothing to be worried about. Everything's fine. Some things are a little different, but you're going to survive. It's going to be great. These great stories we're telling are still going to keep coming out. Um, yeah, I think that's about all I have at the moment. I We will come back and I will touch some more on the Carol Dammer stuff and just some of the other things in here that it's like I had issues with in other parts of Hickman's run that I didn't have issues with here and I'd love to look at that more so yeah I I loved it I don't know what to tell you before Dallas goes I just wanted to ask what kind of effect would you have been interested in coming out of Secret Wars I I don't it's it was one of those answer but I was curious no no it's I, I think it's a fair question. It's one of those things where it's like, unless you were following specifically Miles Morales or you took note of the very abrupt exit of the um, Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic from the universe, there wasn't a lot from Secret Wars that came to play once the event was done. Hmm. Like, if I'm remembering correctly, even the stuff that played out between Tony and Cap when Secret Wars was happening doesn't really play out afterwards but of course we get an entirely entirely new avengers lineup afterwards i'm pretty sure this is when mark wade's all new all different avengers starts like right after this you got the old the old guys teaching the youngins and yeah i don't i don't know there's there's some parts of the fallout that i think would have been really fun to see explored a bit more and just these characters being like hey we went to the the edge of everything of morality of sanity trying to keep the universe from stopping and breaking and we might have done a little bit of war crimes along the way but everything's fine now so how do we deal with that i (laughs) i think that would have been really fun to explore but i don't to my understanding i don't think it's ever like touched upon they're just like well um we fixed it so let's just 
Let's move on. And that's okay. I'm pretty sure most of the characters, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis, but I think most of the characters don't remember Secret Wars. I don't know how much of the buildup they remember of it either. I know Doctor Doom obviously remembers, Molecule Mm -hmm. Man, uh, Stephen Strange remembers, but rather than that, and the Fantastic Four, at least half of them remember. Johnny and Ben don't. Um, mm. But there were a few things that I did like that po- followed out of it. Like there was a, a Marvel two in one with Johnny Storm and Ben Graham that followed them trying to go on adventures. And it's written by the fabulous Chip Zdarsky, I believe. And uh, is them basically grieving the loss of their family. And it was really well done. And then you had like Dr. Doom becoming the infamous Iron Man where he becomes a good guy for a little bit because his face was healed. Um, and then interacting with Stephen Strange and Tony Stark because of that. Uh, and Miles, Depending who you ask, like if you ask Bendis, he did remember Secret Wars. If you don't ask Bendis, he doesn't remember Secret Wars. So there was moments like that a lot where I was like, do, do they, how many people remember Secret Wars? So I agree with you though. It would have been nice if more people did remember mm-hmm. and there was more fallout because of that. Uh, but anyway, sorry, Dallas, initial thoughts. No, I, I agree with everything that has been said. I think this is one of, like I said at the top, the greatest comic book events of all time. This was such. This was the height of my comic book fandom. I think my appreciation for the craft and my love for comic books as a medium has absolutely increased since I read this, but I have never felt as invested in what the hell is going to happen next in this ongoing serial as I did through from time runs out through secret wars, that whole stretch I was in the Marvel previews catalog, trying to figure out what on earth was going to happen next. I was at the comic book store at opening. I would skip my the last 15 minutes of the period I had in high school before lunch to go to the comic book store. I'd consistently be like, oh man, uh, time to take my Wednesday, go to the bathroom until the bell is out. And I would go get Secret Wars and read it at lunch. And just knocked my socks off. Like I, I had never read Hickman's fantastic four and I had never read his Avengers in a beginning to end everything in its correct reading order way before this run. Like I had read all of his Avengers and new Avengers, but in the way I read comics then where I came in at the dot now starting point that they were doing, I don't know if anyone else remembers those, but those, really worked for me and I hopped in there and then I went back and I like got the first couple trades while I was still just ongoing from where I started. And then I get the next few trades. This was this big jumbled mess of blended up information. So I had everything I needed going into secret wars, but this read through man, like everyone that tells you it's worth reading from fantastic four through Avengers and new Avengers into secret wars is right. I doubted the vision through time runs out. I was like, honestly, how connected are these things? Like Fantastic Four, how much did it really play in to any of this? And then I read Secret Wars and I was like, baby, we've been here since day one. This has been about Reed Richards since day one. Everything else has been a joke other than Reed Richards is the greatest Marvel character of all time. He is the guy in the first family. He is the guy of the Marvel Universe. He recreated the Marvel Universe in his own image and made it even better than it was before. There's no one else like him. I will be thinking about Reed Richards 
for the rest of my life because I did this read through and I loved Secret Wars before. And yet, and yet, it meant so much more this time as the capstone to the saga that we were aiming for. And that's not to say that this only works as that capstone because as its own thing, Secret Wars has established stakes, a beginning, a middle, and an end, character arcs for everybody involved, interesting twists. They take a whole extra issue. I don't know if Alexis knows this with how you read it, but it was initially supposed to be eight issues, and you can see that up in the top right corner. It's like number one of eight. And then at around number six, they went number six of nine because they introduced another issue in there to make sure that everyone understood the like doom and molecule man of it all. And doing that allows this story to feel like something you can actually hand somebody and know it's not going to hit the same, but it is a phenomenal story. And I still think it's the best event of all time. Like even by itself, it is the best comic book event of all time. And I just, I love it. I want to know now from everybody again, sort of round table, but starting with Alexis, what did you think of the big read through we did? Like, does this serve as the capstone you wanted for the last 10 months? Did it change your opinion about the books we read before? I know Evan said that everything mean he has said up to this point, he's like, it doesn't matter anymore. Secret Wars healed my soul. And like, I feel that a little bit too. It has given me a giant pair of rose colored glasses about the last 10 months of reading. And I just, I want to hear from you, Alexis, as our go-to first time listener. Absolutely. I know that I've said it in episodes past, but I never got over my morning of the Fantastic Four part at the very beginning. I loved that with like the kids and uh, the foundation and all of them. Like I've always really loved all of our Fantastic Four runs that we do. I just love their dynamic and the family. And so just like to have everybody back and like Bentley and like the dragon guy and like all the little nerdy like aliens. I was like, look at all of you. I don't remember your names, but I love you. The Moloids. Yes, I love them. I love that they survived the end of the universe. Like that just makes sense to me. Um, So it really was just like the best full circle moment for me because like we started the series with them and we ended the series with them. Like, that is just so rad to me. I'm like, look at this. Look at this little family. And how dare they put (laughs) Ben as the wall. That is so cruel. (laughs) That is cruel and unusual punishment right there. Let him free my man. Free him. He does not deserve to be the wall. Jon Snow is standing up on top of Ben Grimm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and Johnny was the son. That was funny. That was funny as shit. I kind of got a little chuckle out of that. I was like, "Mm, punishment. (laughs) And they don't even know why. But it just, I definitely agree. Like, it definitely has put major rose colored glasses over my eyes. I have no negative thoughts anymore. None. Out the window. Pretty rad. Yeah, I would even extend it beyond just the 10 months of us reading. I think, like, everything I ever said negative about. Marvel hit is just like I do not care because Secret Wars is all worth it. Like they could do every like obviously I stand by all my criticisms and all my you know anything I don't like or everything I love I stand by all my statements. But at the end of the day I would do it all over again 
for this fucking event for this one event if they're like either you, you can go back and change all the things you don't like about marvel or you can let it go and you get this event still i'd be like all right let it ride baby come on, i'm gonna move my feet i'm sitting right here i'm gonna reread it right now <laughs> so i love it i think it's a great capsule if someone wanted to like if you ever need a jumping on or jumping off point for marvel it's secret wars like it's the perfect place like you read secret wars all right now we're doing new marvel stuff or you go like all right i read marvel for like 20 years or whatever this is it like it's not gonna get better it's a perfect capsule of like the two most important characters in the entire marvel universe i could stop right here and be content with this ending it's a great send-off to this universe to these characters or at least two of the characters and so i think that that's enough for me i just to interject myself for like five seconds i think the only ending that feels better or on par i'm not gonna say better the only ending in comic books that has ever felt on par with Secret Wars is the end of Mark Wade's Daredevil. When he jumps out and Alexis hasn't read this one yet, but we will absolutely read this run. I've read and no Daredevil. None. Daredevil just says, like, I'd have to be blind. And he's like jumping out to go be a hero again. Like it had that same moment as Doctor Doom, like smiling at the camera where you're like, that's a wrap. Like there it is there's the end of the arc like of course write more stories there have been great stories since but like that was the end of the character no matter where we go continuity stopped mattering for me with secret wars because no matter what this is the finale like i love a lot of stories that came after the finale is still reed richards and dr doom fist fight in front of the molecule man dr doom admits reed richards was right and then Reed Richards heals Doctor Doom. Like, that's the finale. That is the new endpoint, no matter what. Nothing else came after that. And so I love a little bit that everyone forgets Secret Wars because it allows it to exist in this capsule where it gets to be the finale for me. You know, like, that is the end. It just happened to come out in 2015, and we've had a lot of great comic sense. I love that. I, I, that's a, perfect way of thinking about it actually that's really really cool say me thinking about this whole journey that has lasted 10 months which is insane but it's just it, it's it's an interesting thing because i i've read all these runs before not a single book we read here was new except for that one really weird one that jonathan hickman wrote about um cannonball and sunspot go to mojo hell World. yeah the um, real, the real comic book. The real, I'm so yeah, I'm so glad. Um, that was something I got to experience for the first time. Um, other than that, there wasn't and the last. Here, and the last, definitely the last. That is the <laughs> one book here I will not read again. I promise you that. Um, and and I, the first time I read through all of this, I I adored it to pieces. And I, looking back at everything, I still a. The journey to pieces, even though it was easier for me, especially around the Avengers stuff, to see like cracks where I'm like, things could have been better here. I would have liked to have seen a little bit something extra. But reading through Fantastic Four, reading through Secret Wars, and they get praise and it's well deserved praise. The art in Secret Wars is stunning, the story is fantastic. In the moment or out of the moment, um, it still holds up just as well as it did the first time I read it. Um, it's it's breathtaking. It's it's really really 
special and wonderful. And when you tie it into everything else that was happening at the same time, like I just took a second to go through like the 20 or so um, tie-in series that this book had around it. It was just a really, really interesting time to be a Marvel fan. There was so much happening. It was all balls to the wall crazy. Um, <laughs> it was it was just ridiculous. And yeah, it's it's been awesome 10 months getting to revisit all this. I absolutely agree. I will use you talking about the tie-ins as a small segue. If you look at the length of this show, you will see it is quite robust. And that is because after our conversation year, which is going to go for probably another hour, we have some of our favorite comic book critics and conversationalists talking about their favorite tie-ins to Secret Wars, because that was such a huge part of this event. Alexis... I know you didn't get to experience this, but maybe the other, my other two co-hosts here can talk about it with me. Battle World, what you saw of it, Lex, the hodgepodge of all of Marvel's greatest stories, they made little mini-series for every section of Battle World. So that Maestro Hulk that showed up on the big helicarriers, you could go find out what he was up to. You could go find out what Madeline Pryor was up to as... Oh, she's so cool. That Baroness so cool. Madeline. Like every section of that map was something interesting. And my big favorites were absolutely Marvel 1872. Like yes. Cowboy Marvel. It's incredible. And Weird World. I think I am the only Mm. fan of Weird World on the planet. But that changed my brain chemistry, frankly. Loved it. I read so many of those tie-ins and I loved all of them. Like I don't remember a single one that I read that I was like, that was a stinker. Like I loved them all. <laughs> yeah. I read a lot of them. I read, cause I read 1872. I read real world. I read Marvel zombies is my favorite one by the goat size superior. Um, and well, Oh shoot. What's his face on art? Someone I love is on art, but I can't remember the name. Dallas. For which up. one? Um, for Marvel zombies. Oh, g- give me a second. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Thank then you. there was like, Modoc had a mini series. Also, <laughs> Not to correct Dallas, but he mixed spoke a little bit because you see, there was actually two sets of miniseries. There was Battle World and Warzone, uh, and the distinction is actually very specific. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Modoc had one. What? Kev Walker. Kev Walker. Thank you. Yes. Yo. You go. Yeah. Number one guy, Kev Walker. Yeah. If you're a longtime listener of this ten month series, we love Kev Walker. We love Kev Walker. He's great. Um, you ever read Marvel Zombies? You gotta read Marvel Zombies, Alice. There's two of your favorite people on it. It's so good. And yeah. Size Fury doesn't remember doing it. <laughs> I asked him during the interview, he's like, Oh, yeah, I did do that. I was like, Yeah, man, it's okay. It's my favorite, at least. <laughs> we'll talk about Coda. Uh, but then, like, uh, yeah, even like, like, uh, they, they had one like that was the Infinity Gauntlet that was about like a new Nova family. Um, mm-hmm. they had, of course, like, I think the most famous one was probably Renew Your Vows by Dan Slate. Which was, Which was really good. And Ryan Stegman, right? Listen here, Dan Slot haters. That rules. Yeah. They freaked that one. Oh, yeah. And I feel like there's a lot more I liked. But it, it was just so many. And they were all fun. And even if you didn't like some of them, those are the ones for you. Like, like I feel like the one I did, like, didn't vibe with was the X-Men 92 or 91 or whatever it was called. And it just wasn't for me. 
It wasn't even bad. Mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, you're trying to do an X-Men 90s continuation. That's for somebody who's not me, and that's okay. But Gambit, I don't think, was in it. So that was nice. Jubilee was in it, though, which is cool. I've always wanted to like Jubilee more. There's My some... big pitch for her is that she's not Gambit. So got <laughs> that, that going for her. that's a huge, huge plus. All of the trench coat, none of the French. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I'm looking through the list of the Battle Worlds and the um, just general Secret Wars stuff. And there's a lot of things I didn't even remember existed. Like I had no idea there was a whole Master of Kung Fu series. Mm. Um, I didn't know that Kieran Gillen was on Siege writing more Abigail Brand, which he does so well every time he does it. Um, there's... Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know this one existed. Um, it's called Where Monsters Dwell, and it was Garth Ennis's return to Marvel Comics. If I bet, if I click on issue one, um, the I give it five seconds before something questionable happens. Oh, psych! Yep, yep. Nope, it's incredible. No notes. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. It's um, yeah. Wow. Um, page one. You would okay. Yeah, it, it's Garth Ennis, all right. It's definitely Garth Hell Ennis. yeah. Number one comic creator for dang-ass freaks. <laughs> this guy. Boys, boys, boys. Boys, boys, boys. You ever read Punisher? You ever read John Constantine? You ever read Preacher? The craziest comic book that's ever been made? I don't know. I Whenever I think about... You, you said Garth Ennis makes comics for freaks. I, I instantly pictured the HR meme, where it's just Garth Ennis. Hey, and you're like, hello, human resources. Please. <laughs> True. Except it stays Garth Ennis between two of them, except it's you and Evan saying, Oh, you're so sweet. And then at the bottom, it's me saying human resources. <laughs> you're exactly right. I love that dang ass freak. Make more <sighs> crazy comics. Even though a lot of them are misses, the ones that aren't are so Parser not. Max. Oh. Hitman. <laughs> We're doing a Hitman episode someday. And Anne will lose her faith in comic books i will I never mean, make you two what read punisher max I've, i love that comic you guys should not touch it with a 10-foot pole i got a little bit of punisher max um i gotta say the the russian person um that that was that was interesting at least i think it's punisher max it's the one where the russian gets like their gets head transposed job. yeah okay. yeah, yeah that one is not punisher max okay sorry why the pull fuck was i reading that is not <laughs> Punisher Max. That one is Garth Ennis, though, Punisher. He does 616 and Max Punisher <sighs> at one point. But his Max is way better. I can't believe Sorry, that we're was talking the about in- Secret Wars. I can't believe that was the in-canon version. Okay. Remember Ooh, Secret Wars when Punisher killed all those villains? That, that was, was dope as hell. That was the most <laughs> was Garth awesome. Ennis moment ever. Hell yeah. All the villains trying to celebrate and Punisher shows up like, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> it's the one and only Frank Castle, da-da-da. I just imagine him in his head, look, he thinks he's like the that Batman moment where he's like, gentlemen and ladies, you've dined finally, or whatever he says in uh, mm-hmm. Gotham by year one. Gotham, Gotham by year, year one. one. <laughs> Which one is it? It Gotham is year, year one. one. It's okay. Gotham Returns. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Gotham Returns by, by year one. Thank you. Yes. Alexis, bring us back to Secret Wars. I want you to talk a little bit about... Your baby's the Fantastic Four. Talk to me about Doom, Reed, what you thought of the actual story of Secret Wars. We've talked a lot about its impact, the bombast of it, but talk to me about why. Like, what hit you about this story? Well, I think for me, 
I really liked having the two separate reads be like the driving point of the story. I thought that was very interesting. Like the ultimate and then I guess um is it six one six? Is that what yeah, six one six ultimate and six one six. Having those two very drastically different reads, but at the their core very similar, which is the frightening part. <laughs> Cause they're like described as like these crazy big, drastically different ones. But then to the way that their story is wrapped up and like how it goes is so crazy with like them them basically backstabbing each other. Like they they know each other so well that they're both just nasty <laughs> to each other. But um I I loved like I I'll, I'll say it again, time and time again. I'll stand on the, the hilltops and scream it. Doom as God is the coolest freaking thing in the whole world. That was so cool. But the absolute war crime of him giving Sue those bangs, I will never recover in my entire <laughs> life. How crime. how raw was it when Reed just screams, you stole my family? Oh, it was so sad. Fight. Because like he really has been painted this entire run as like such a shitty dad. Like he is such a shitty dad and shitty husband. But like to have this full circle moment of like that being this huge big downfall moment for him and like having this raw guttural response to doom about his family like you stole my family is so crazy and like how doom inserted himself into the role of reed ooh, ooh, wild wild because he knows reed is a better man than him which comes back at the end which is wild it's just wild and isn't it great that Reed Richards finale is hanging up the cape and going to live he's with his family? With his family, building he's, universes. He's going on an RV road trip with yeah. his kids. Like that rules. That rules so hard. Yeah. I really like the returning. Uh, I don't know if it's a motif in the story of how many times people are trying to play God and it never works out for them. Because you have like Doctor Doom playing God. Stephen Strange rejects it. So Dr. Doom's playing God, then Thanos wants to play God. It doesn't work out for him. Black Panther steps up, fights Doom as another God. doesn't work out for him. And the only person to be able to bring him down is Reed Richards, the other guy who's able to reject um, the notion of wanting to be God. Even when the maker was trying to play at God, it didn't work out for him. So I thought that was really cool. And then the end, like you said, Reed Richards plays God. And she's like, all right, now we're, we're, I'm done with that. You know, We're just fixing this story up and we're moving on. I think this story is so tightly paced and so full because when you take a step back and you look at you have the doom and read right you have the entire establishment of battle world which never feels rushed you get all the stakes everything of how we got here that we missed and what everyone's relationship to the world is and then you introduce the cabal and they have all sorts of crazy crap going on and then you introduce the 616 life rack and everything crazy that's going on. And Black Panther and Namor have their buddy cop movie going on in the background. And just like none of those storylines feel shortchanged and they all feel essential to that final tapestry. Like, I don't think I've ever read a comic book with a stronger third act climax than the successive Thanos comes at Doom. 
Black Panther comes at Doom and then Reed has to come at Doom. Like that one, two, three finale of those last three issues is honestly breathtaking and perfectly paced in this three act structure. Like I, I know I said this earlier, but I am astonished at how well this book contains itself as a three act structure where we have the establishing first three issues. We have the strange twists and subversions of the second arc. And then we have the conclusion with the third arc. And that's just so rare in the ongoing story. Like we so rarely actually have a satisfying beginning, middle end comic book, especially from Marvel comics or DC comics. Yeah, I agree. I also really like that all the characters, like the main players at least get fitting endings. Again, my, one of my biggest criticism is that some characters don't seem to be as big of players as they should be. Like Carol Danvers isn't a big player in the main Secret Wars. She ends up doing a lot more, I believe in Siege. She gets like her whole arc there whenever she, she basically in a mini, one of the miniseries, she arrives at Bar Sinister and then fights the brainwashing or something and becomes like the leader of the Sinisters, basically, or at least like a corrupter in the system. So she gets her arc, but it's not on the pages of the main title. And it's a flaw that Hickman keeps doing with women for some reason. And then the same is like very similar with Sue Storm in this, where Sue doesn't do anything. She's just a mm -hmm. trophy, literally a trophy for Doom to parade around, which is very strange to me. It happened with Jane too, because I was like, before you mentioned that, I was really curious because oh, yeah. I'm like, there was a moment in the book where it just it could just get mentioned like, oh, the Thors have all turned against us because Jane convinced them. I'm like, when did that? Okay, you're just going to tell us that happened. That happened. Okay, cool. Because Dallas, you were talking about like, it was really, really well paced. I was I was actually thinking I would have minded an extra issue or two even because hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm just a, a slut for like the extra fantasy setting that this had. And I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of the like Game of Thrones politics going on with all these different realms and worlds coexisting together that would have been really really fun i could have had honestly i could have lived on battle world and had just a messy drama series there for years and years and years but it was it was one of those things where like there were things that still felt like they were crucial to the story they got sidelined which if you think about secret wars as like a successor to the original secret wars which was a event about the marvel universe as a whole and a bunch of different characters interacting it, I can understand if it felt hollow from that way, but if you approach the story the way that I think it should be approached as just a Reed and Victor story with those two as the center points, it doesn't feel as hollow because everything else feels auxiliary and ancillary. You mean God? No, I mean Victor. <laughs> oh. Reed Richards' costume in this. He's so with this shit. He's like, this bitch. Reed Richards' design in this was phenomenal. The suit with the black with the square four on the chest looks so good. The beard and the hair have never looked better. And I'm going to say it. This is Isad Ribic's best work. 100%. This is Isad Ribic's best work. I love Isad Ribic. I know he gets a lot of shit from a lot of people online who can't draw like him frankly because he has very evocative <laughs> surprised faces yeah <laughs> like nobody looks more surprised than an Assad ribbit character when their eyelids go 100 percent away <laughs> have you ever heard of this guy I like to call greg land <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that guy has real expressive faces for sure. <laughs> Every Greg Land face I've ever seen really looks like it isn't just traced over form. pornography. Just getting railed, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I loved Isad Ribic's artwork in this comic book. I think the decision to color over uninked pencils in this gave it that fantasy vibe that Anne is talking about. It made it feel like a storybook. It felt like something that was in a faraway fantasy land because it didn't have those hard black edges that we're used to in our comic books. I also think that there was a little bit of the the approach taken in the manga series Akira, where important moments are not inked with a paintbrush to have blacks, but black is made with little tiny pencil marks so that you can tell that it's an important moment that took a lot of time to make. If you look at the blacks in this book, especially if Doom's cape, every time Doom's cape does something, there's just these little tiny scribbled in cross hatches of black graphite that look phenomenal. I I think the color work in the series was brilliant. I think the line work was stunning. I think the in a week where, and this is going to date the podcast a little bit, um, I think Doll E3 was just incorporated into ChatGPT, so people have been trying to make comics with that all week. And it's been a great masterclass in what a comic book artist actually does. Because each of the panels that these people are creating using stolen art or creating is definitely in quotation marks there, folks. Um, the images look fine. Like they've got the AI weirdness, but honestly, like that's going to go away eventually. But what isn't going to go away is the fact that this computer cannot pace and tell a story with comic book panels. This, a comic book is not a collection of isolated imagery that is meant to be screenshotted and shared online. It is the art of sequential art storytelling where each panel leads into the next and provides logical motion in a story. And I think Isad Ribic did that phenomenally there. You just think about the page turn where doom tears Thanos' spine from his body. You can feel that motion, but if you put those two panels next to each other, it's a punch to the chest and then a finalized holding a spine out. Like there is not actually any movement on that page, but I dare you to tell me that you did not feel doom rip Thanos' spine out. It was crazy. It for me was more evocative than anything I have seen in the craziest mortal combat final finishing move. And it was just two static images for me, for me. And I just, I'd love to hear a little bit more our opinions about the artwork. Um, Alexis, you have seen Asad Ribic on Eternals before. Uh, what did you think of his art this time around with Secret Wars? Honestly, I feel like I'm a fan of Asad normally. Like, I don't really have any complaints other than Sue's bangs. That was criminal, but I will let it slide. Um. Because I feel like, yeah, it it makes a lot of sense in this type of storytelling. I I completely agree with 
your statement about how the crosshatching of the pencils really defines those dramatic moments. Like I really noticed that. And I feel like now that I'm kind of feeling more comfortable with reading these stories, I kind of have, I have more of a footing in understanding a lot of their themes and their undercurrents of things. Like I feel like I'm allowing myself more to pay attention to the art. And I really enjoyed the art from this. I, feel like for a, an event this big and this insane, the art made it feel much more down to earth, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like it was something that, like a, this type of story and this magnitude is something that could really get ahead of itself, like really could get blown out of proportion and have too much going on on the page that's hard to... Um, comprehend kind of if that makes sense and I feel like that was not the case here like this was the perfect mash of the artwork and the storytelling working so beautifully together that you can just really tell that there was like a lot of thought put in in both parties to make this mesh really really well so I've always been a fan even in Eternals fan I agree Anne and Evan what are your Mm -hmm. relationships with Isad Ribic and his artwork in this specifically, like I think just on a, a funnier side, my favorite game to play throughout this is spot. How many times the sod ribbit can draw Carol Danvers helmet differently? Um, Cause it happens like three or four times during the whole thing that was, and, and you can tell that's I'm at the part where I'm like, I'm nitpicking really hard. If that's like the only issue I have with the sod's work, I think there's not much that I can add that you didn't already sum up perfectly. It, feels like a storybook it feels like it's a fairy tale book that you'd hand maybe not a kid a little too much murder for a kid but you know like a a a young teenager (laughs) this is a young teenager's fairy tale and it's it's um it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful there isn't a single moment of dr doom that doesn't feel perfectly regal and ominous and a little bit terrifying all at once there is no one else, I think, that has ever drawn a Doctor Doom that feels like he really, really lives up to that name. Where it's like, this is someone I'd be afraid to share the room with. I'd be afraid to breathe the wrong way around this guy. And just from static images, I think that's the most impressive thing I can imagine. Is just being able to give a sense of stature and presence from a still picture. I, I think Assad does struggle from time to time with like emotional expressive faces. Cause I, I feel like there's the, the default one. There's one where it's like right after they open up the ship and Reed Richards comes out and he's going through like a lot of turmoil. Like, Hey, I just lost my entire family and I'm pretty sure they're dead. And I'm about to find out the doom is God. And he just looks instead of like distraught or upset, it looks like he's maybe got a mild headache He's got, or someone just told him some bad news and he's kind of like, okay, I guess. It's, there's moments where I feel like it could make up for there, but in terms of the overall stature of the story, he is maybe the perfect artist for it. Yeah, I would agree with what everyone pretty much said already. I'm more familiar with him because I 
recognize him from obviously Eternals, but also back in Uncanny X-Force, Wolverine, uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run. He was a big part of all of those. So I'm pretty familiar with his work. He definitely excels when it's bigger than life scenarios or big action scenes, when it is the more intimate uh, moments that rely on any type of facial expressive expression expression. That's when I feel like there's a little bit of stumbling in his art for me personally. Um, so in secret wars and eternals, I think it's the most obvious when those moments happen. Like there's that one moment where everyone, like the, the heroes arrive on earth and they're like, what are on battle world? And like, what happened? What's going on? Steven Strange is like, all right guys, you might want to sit down, but Dr. Doom is God. And then everyone does the most like expressive, like big eyed shock face. And I don't think it's played totally for comedy, but it did make me laugh very loudly in my car uh, when I was reading that. So I do think there's moments where I'm like, I can't tell if it's supposed to be hit or miss or not on purpose. And there's other times where I'm like, oh, this is definitely a whiff in the facial department. But his art looks so good that at the end of the day, he's always the right person for the job if you're trying to tell these big stories like Thor, Find the God Butcher, or read fighting like punching doom and i don't know how anyone could ever even try to argue that he's not the right guy like the thanos thing is impressive and everything but that panel of doom and reed sharing the same face and its construction of like grids i can't mm-hmm. think no one else could do it like he did it like other people could replicate something similar and do great on their own merit but what he accomplished right there i it just took my breath away it's like what comics is all about like a visual media that you can't replicate in any other type of media and he is one of the titans of the of the modern industry, like easily. And honestly, we need to give him more flowers. Like after when all is said and done, he's worked on some of the best characters and the best runs. He did Jason Aaron's Thor run. People were kissing that run so up and down and back and forth and never matching his name, just Aaron's. I think he, he needs more flowers, and I hope we give them to him right now. I think he really captures a lot of the magic of Frank Frazetta, who is someone that gets a lot of flowers. I mean, I have two T-shirts with Frank Frazetta on artwork on them. And I think Isad Ribic is absolutely capturing just that dynamic fantasy musculature. Like everybody looks roided out and like they're going to pop each other's heads like grapes. And it gives it this big sweeping mythological operatic feel where you like if all of these characters delivered their lines in like a big opera voice i would not be shocked because of how evocative and over the top this artwork is it's able to walk the line of almost alex ross style realism with the painting painted colors and the best comic book line work of the other school like it it truly feels quintessentially comic book and yet elevated to a high art place because of the painted colors they just it's astonishing i love it i love he's one of the few people that i i absolutely think his colors are what make or break the pieces because I've been looking at a lot of Alex Toth this week. And Alex Toth is one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. And you lose some of that when his work is colored. But when you look at the raw line work of Alex Toth, and for those of you that don't know, he is the creator of Hanna-Barbera's Space Ghost. Like the, the superhero Space Ghost with the white costume and the black mask. That's Alex Toth's work that you probably are familiar with. 
when you look at his raw lines, bar none, you're like, okay, nobody but Jack Kirby has ever been this good. And Isad Ribic, when you look at his raw line work, you go, this is an incredibly talented artist. But when you look at the paints laid down on that artwork, that's when it sings. And I just, I think he is an essential element of this comic book. Like, Secret Wars is not as successful if it does not have Isad Ribic on it. Yeah. And other two Unsung Zeros, I really want a quick shout out are the letterers and colorers for uh, Secret Wars. The letterer was Chris uh, Eliopoulos. And the color was Ives oh sorry Sforcina Ives Sforcina I want to say, and like you were saying, the colors really bring out the art and make it that that painting feel to it that make it so epic, and the letters are really essential to the story. We really can't blow without them. So I think the letterer is always the most like not talked about person. I I say this like pretty much every episode now, but. I do want to shout uh, him out because there's a lot of big moments that rely on you reading the voices in a certain way or following the story in a certain flow. And the letterer is like the, the important part of conveying that uh, in the best way. This might be a question for one of the oracles in the chair, but is it always the same colorist that works with Ribic? Because... I'm looking through his profile now and he worked on him for Thor for sure. Um, this guy also worked on Conan. So that should tell you what kind of thing he goes for. Um, so pretty much the coolest shit in the world. Yeah, exactly. He did Jer- uh, Gary Dugan's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which totally different vibe. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, more of a flat color to it. Yeah. So he definitely has different styles for sure. Original Sins he was on. So underrated event. I think I'm the only fan of Original Sin. But I will agree with that. He was that I'm the only fan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked the original sin. I thought it was dope. I thought it was a good idea. You're wild for that. Um, <laughs> what do you want I re- to say? I am wild for that. I know I am the one that's wild for that. But wait, Are I we... will say, original sin. Dig was that panel of <laughs> Frank Castle and Punisher talking to each other, and Punisher's like, "Hey, Mark's still crazy." And Mark's like, "Yeah, yeah." Hey, how's the family? It's still dead? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what the fuck, Mark? What's your problem, dude? It was never that serious. It's a perfect comic book. Do we have anything else we want to say before we move into some questions? I think we've got some good questions. So mm-hmm. I was just reading a couple of them. All right. All I want to say is that anyone who thinks this event was anything less than the best... You're just wrong. And all the arguments I've heard about it were bad. You guys are bad and illiterate. That's all I got to say. <laughs> That's the meanest I'm going to be on this podcast. Tell There's us how you no, really feel. The only, the only acceptable criticism is, and I quote, it wasn't for me. Then I'd be like, okay, fair. Or I, don't, I just don't like it. I'm like, okay. Don't, no need to elaborate. You don't like it. That's fine. But if you're like, actually, it wasn't that good because they forgot because the Avengers led up to it, but they weren't in the story. Wasn't their story. Next question. <laughs> like, you know, and also their story was wrapped up. What do you want? It ended with everything lives or everything dies. Everything lived or everything died. That's it. That's their story. The Avengers died. Yeah, it started <laughs> with Cap and Tony and ended with Cap and Tony. It was always their story in Avengers. That was the story that was told. Oh, Dr. Doom showed randomly. He did not. That was That's a dumb criticism. Let's move on. So that's all I got to say. The only valid criticism, if you're looking for a woman to do anything <laughs> and you didn't like it because of that, I'll hear you out. You know, but rather than that, even then, you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice a few women for the greater good of uh, comics. And that's something that I think a lot of men would agree with. 
<laughs> just about every man, actually. We're you, all you're pretty come solid. And have this brave moment where we say, throw them ladies on the pyre. Doom and Reed had a fist fight for the fate of the Marvel Universe. This is my Monsters Inc. moment. Oh, sacrifice a thousand Carol Davers for Victor Von Doom. For another Victor Von Doom and Reed Richards story. We don't have enough of those. Five Somehow we don't. I'm calling everyone here basic. I quit. I give it up. It keeps happening. They're going, still always good. They basically fridged Sue with those bangs. I don't think I'll ever recover. I called this event a Fantastic Four event, and someone was just like, actually, it was a Reed Richards Victor Von Doom event. And I was like, or story. Damn. And I was like, I don't know how to tell you, man, but that's every Fantastic Four story ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, go find one story where Sue Storm does anything. Crickets. Ryan North. Shut oh, up. Well you'll, <laughs> well, you'll see. Actually, she had a ton to do in the Hickman run that no she, when she supported Reed Richards the entire time. Next question. <laughs> I mean, she did something with fish, I think. Some fishy. She was literally the queen of a city that we never saw again. Mm. <laughs> but she was. Name that oh, city. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> For a dollar, name any of the three cities. That's not Atlantis. Shit. Oh, no, that was one of the three cities. No, it wasn't even Atlantis. It was like Atlantis light. It was new Atlantis. <laughs> it was like Atlant. It was like the Great Lakes Atlantis. That was it. For a dollar, name any of the brides of John uh, Johnny Storm. For Jonathan Hickman, for $1 million, you are not allowed to put somebody into a city that ages them 10,000 years in your next story. Impossible challenge. <laughs> impossible challenge you can't do it he already did it he was he's actively writing ultimate spider-man he just had a heart attack right now just ah jonathan hickman went to nyc once got stuck in traffic he's like this is my entire personality now bro no he's been here a hundred years almost the entirety of ultimate invasion happens in a city that doesn't age yo he saw goku prep for that fight and he was like i'm gonna make that every story i have ever seen (laughs) When Goku got put in the capsule to prep to fight Frieza, that was Jonathan Hickman's entire run in Marvel Comics. That's his whole personality now. See, okay. Good personality. Okay. The one thing that Jonathan Hickman did with Carol Danvers that was better than anything else he had done with her this entire run was making her a baddie in Bar Sinister because that goes so against everything that she would be stereotypically be written to do she's the one who follows orders she's the one who's very uptight at least according to the guys that write her but um this was her just being an absolute freak breaking out of some brain apparently i i googled it and someone else said shit happens in siege and then i just browsed through all four fucking issues didn't see shit did not see a sinister <laughs> diamond anywhere so i'm i'm gonna have to actually fucking read the thing so i'm sure it's in like a two captions somewhere and i'll see what happens <laughs> but just the fact that she was allowed to be there and be like this weird dummy mommy to sinister was actually pretty fun <laughs> we should have gotten more of it but at least at least you let her break out of a stereotype for five seconds that was really cool so true bestie First question comes in from 
Longtime listener, Owen Saylor. Hello again, Comics Collective. Don't know if I mentioned this in the previous email, but when Secret Wars began and Marvel released all their Battle Royale tie-in books, that was when I first began to get into comics. In fact, Secret Wars 2015 number one was actually the first comic I ever read. And you can bet my 10-year-old self was absolutely <laughs> confused and had no idea what was going on when he first read it. I am a thousand years I just, old. I just aged that made me feel old. 40 years. But now that I'm older and know more about Jonathan Hickman and his planning all of this out, I can't help but look at it as the grand conclusion to his original Marvel saga and a love letter to the Fantastic Four, as it explores the complex relationship between Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom. Which brings me to my question. Is there a particular moment in Secret Wars 2015 that makes you go back and think, yeah, this is why comics are awesome? The whole damn thing, Owen. The whole damn thing. Pretty much. The maestro showing up with a um, helicarrier full of hulks. Mm-hmm. Comics. That comics. was comics. Every time maestro shows up in anything, I'm like, comics. I don't know why he has such a chokehold on me, but that original maestro story, Future Imperfect, that's one of the craziest two-issue stories of all time. It's and so every great. time he showed up since, it's like, you freak that king. Absolutely. No. Hot take. I played a video game with him in it one time, and I still to this day have never been able to beat the level where he's the boss. And so I've taken that very personally, and I actually hate him with my whole soul. Well, he's got a great comic book it's called Future Imperfect. <laughs> very OP, so I'll believe it. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Can't beat his like, Batman stole my lunch money once when I was Literally. in middle school. So I feel um, bullied by him and his ratty ass beard. Peter David, you owe me five dollars. Thank you. I, yeah, um, I love the whole fist fight at the end with the Molecule Man. Like that, every image of Reed wrapping himself around Doom, and then just the final Doom being like, "Fine, yes, you are the better man." And then Molecule Man being like, "Well, since we all agree, yeah. like that was such a comic book moment for me, where I was like, comics, comics." Like Alexa started this episode, they will never put anything on the screen that makes me feel how Secret Wars 2015 makes me feel. It's true. And I'm so glad they haven't tried. Leave this alone. I mean, you know that's you know that's Avengers number six, right? Is literally (laughs) Avengers Secret Wars. No. Uh, Well, okay. I tried. I tried everyone, I'm sorry. Try to tell them. Unreal. I like when Ben punches the helicopter. That was cool. That's just so cool. It's when rough. Galactus and Giant Ben fight. Mm, that's so sad. And then Giant Groot comes and kicks Galactus's ass. I was like, hell yeah. Comics. Oh my god, that was awesome. I forgot about Giant Groot. The King so Carlo, amazing. The World Tree Groot. Say, things were bad for Carol, but my other my other favorite, my Star-Lord, he, he got his ass kicked, but in the best way. I, I love him. He's a disaster. It was it was great. He's a top that's, 10 guy. That stupid toothpick he was carrying around the whole time actually being a major plot point was <laughs> insane. Yo, that life raft team is the most cracked out. When Reed Richards like, these are our most important people. I was like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Star-Lord, I was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> no, his, his A team blew up. That was the B team. Bro, yeah, I, still, that's your B team? <laughs> 
No, that was, forbid we see your specifically. Speed, that was made specifically for Anne. That was because I'm the main character, and so Star Lord and Captain Marvel both had to go on the. It was like I was playing with my action figures as a kid. I'm like Star Lord and Captain Marvel definitely go on the life ship together. Makes sense. I have never, and I felt shocked that I was an essential worker through a global pandemic. I've never seen a worse showing of essential workers than what Reed Richards <laughs> and T'Challa put together for that life raft. It's not great bonkers mistakes were made i know shang chi no amadeus cho like i okay my carol danvers of this run was shang chi yeah because jonathan hickman was like shang chi you're gonna have two cool moments in this run and we're gonna keep pretending like you are an integral part of this avengers team and you will never do anything you will net like as the shang chi defender here the as the one who has read the sacred eight ancient racist texts shang chi's the coolest <laughs> character at marvel and jonathan hickman clearly also read the sacred ancient racist texts and was like this is the greatest marvel character that's ever been written and did nothing with him ever at all except for when he did and you'd be like oh that was so sick what if he had any character arc or characterization beyond just crazy cool kung fu man that is neither here nor there. Secret Wars has cleansed that of my soul. Thank you, everyone. You know what's probably funny is that Black Widow and Spider-Woman died trying to get the A team to the raft. I bet they weren't even on either team. <laughs> they were on the A or B team. They were probably on his C or D team. They were the, the couriers. Like, he didn't yeah. tell them that he was going to close the door behind them. <laughs> He's just like, oh, thank you for getting them here. Did you get, oh, did you forget uh, George? Oh, and they go, who? And he closes the door. <laughs> like, no, you forgot that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you are you an armadillo boyfriend? Go back and get him. <laughs> Aren't you pregnant? And Jessica's like, what? Skunk? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, she pregnant? Only seen him for once. <laughs> Does she have better her boy <laughs> or girl? I don't know what kind of child she has. Does she have better her child for it's this? Little... Or was that afterwards? That was after. Was after. Because okay, good. That Carol was so had her funny. stupid haircut. Evan's like, what? <laughs> that was so funny. If she's like about to die, she's like, I have a kid. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> her last moment. Had past tense. Gone. Man. Also, one of the saddest mm. moments in speaking of comics, uh, one of the saddest moments in it was uh, Rocket's death. That really got me. Oh. Just got shot. Yeah. That was tragic. It's how he would want to go. I think. Mm-hmm. True. Laser beamed. That's true. Yeah. But also, Miles and Peter swinging off into the sunset. Yeah, that's that's a comics moment, man. That's comics. Best and I I know like in a post Spider-Verse world, we all are like, yeah, Peter and Miles together. But like as someone who was reading the weird ultimate Spider-Man, Peter Parker comes back to life run yeah. and then ultimate end and then into that. I like it hit. I don't know. Like Miles Morales coming to the 616 really hit for me and it felt big and important and whether or not it's been successful is a whole separate conversation but the potential of that page was phenomenal hell yeah let's read the next one next question comes from penny green dear comics the ultimate universe is dead thank god now we can all finally be happy wait what hickman brought it back 
Fuck. Well, maybe Marvel will finally make an Ultimate Spider-Woman solo series. Wait, they're making another Spider-Man book? Gross. Penny, you're the best. Well, since the Ultimate Universe is back, there's only one question to ask. If your other podcast hosts wronged you and the only way you felt you could get revenge would be to turn them into an animal, what animal would that be? Keeping in mind, you still need to make a podcast every week with your new animal co-hosts. So, good night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite, Penny. Penny, this is the best question we've ever been asked. What animal have I turned you into? I would turn Dallas into Susan so he could understand her pain as Susan the cat. Okay, I've got a story about Susan the cat. So oh, Susan God. the Selling cat. Selling her on Twitter. Yes. Susan the cat <laughs> figured out how to hit the on and off button on our oven to make a loud beeping noise when she wanted more food. And we learned that it could be locked because she accidentally locked herself out of it one time. And then she learned how to unlock it. So we have to lock our oven and then lay a towel over the buttons so she can't interact with them. Or else all day long we'll be beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Do you know that they make covers on Amazon for those? Oh, I don't need it anymore because oh. her giant cat ass beeped that for three straight months until this week the beeper died. It hey. ran out of beeps. <laughs> and now she just keeps looking at me like, and I realized that she didn't register that it was the noise that was getting me up. She was just like, when I stand here and smack right here, he gets up. And so I will just see her now out of the corner of my eye in <laughs> silence, just, just smacking the button over and over again. So I hate that cat, but I love her a lot. I've never met something smarter that only uses it for evil. <laughs> like she has full blown. She is Doctor Doom. She has schematics, and it's only ever to get a fifth meal in a day. <laughs> like she you need to she get has, her a little cape. She gets a triple serving of food three times a day. She <laughs> looks like a bowling ball, and she's still like, "Hey yo, where's brunch? Where's brunch? Hey yo, where's dunch? Where's dunch?" And then she's like, I need my 11sies. And she means 11 p.m. That's when she's having her 11sies. Uh, love her. I hate that cat. <laughs> I would uh, oh. turn you all into Lexi's dog. So it looks like I'm still looking at a human every time I'm talking to the podcast. Hey. Like hey, my 90 year old man. <laughs> she's so damn cute. Y'all are so mean to her. Yo, that dog looks like. That dog looks like Alexander Skarsgård when he erased his eyebrows for Dune. Yeah. That's what that dog looks like. She does look like she needs eyebrows. I will, I will be honest about that. That dog needs eyebrows. I've never seen a dog that needed eyebrows until your dog. I was like, how's she going to shave her eyebrows when she's covered in fur? That's crazy. Like, that's really draw. what it is. I should draw eyebrows on her. I think it'd make it better. It would Because really, like... We did the experiment the, and did it. The sum you of her parts? Oh, yeah, and did do it. <laughs> if you cover her eyebrows, it's like, what a cute cat. Or cute dog. <laughs> and then you move your finger, you're like, oh my, Mia Goth? What's going on here? Oh my god. Oh my god. Evan, I'll tell you she does not have enough brain cells to keep this podcast going. Neither do any of us, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay here's what's gonna happen um 
Dallas, I'm turning you into a walrus. Um, Evan, you're a bunny. Lexi, you're an otter. And we're going to have great otter. adventures together. And I'm sure we're going to go through that great blue sky. It's going to be it's going to be fantastic. terrible. You're a villain. You're a giant villain. <laughs> criminal. I, I'm sorry. I couldn't think of anything else. It's um, such a good movie. Hey, hey, hey. Last great comic book so. movie. I'm turning you three into the we three animals. Uh, Alexis can be the cat. Anne can be the dog. Yes. And Evan, again, you're the rabbit. I'm, I'm very sorry. Oh, my God, Evan. I'm so sorry. Uh, that's apparently my fave. It's because in Hoodwink, there's a scene... Random thought. <laughs> Yo, we love Hoodwink Hoodwink reference. <laughs> you know that we remember were... that Hoodwink where the rabbit's just like, Helga, go do this. Dorothy, go do this. Chad, go do this thing. Keith. Keith, get a different name, man. It's not threatening. You're being threatening at all. Oh, Keith. Watch out for Keith. I thought that was the funniest thing as a kid. And my mom was that crying. Was hilarious. It was Yo, very good. I think all the time about Dinamate. Must be Italian. Like, <laughs> once a week, I think, Dinamate. Must be Italian. Oh, I always think about the yodeling goat. Oh, oh yeah. That is my head. I think about that tired wolf all the time. That's yeah, you. That's a patch of You're that tired wolf. That's Warburton the goat. And that tired wolf. <laughs> what a crazy that movie. That, that, that movie in Over the Hedge... Yeah, um, don't get nearly enough love, and they're the same genre for sure. Of- I swear to God, Bruce Willis almost retired after Over the Hedge. <laughs> I swear he did. He was oh shit. He Next was the raccoon in like Over him. the Hedge. No, he was the raccoon. Okay, yeah, he was the main character in Over the Hedge. I'm Wait, pretty sure. The, Somebody fact tur- check that. I think the turtle Steve Carell as the squirrel was the first time I recognized a voice actor in anything. Yeah, really. As a kid, I was like, really? I think that's the guy from The Office. Oh yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis was definitely RJ the raccoon. Uh, what's the turtle's name? Mick Nolte was Vincent. Vern was the turtle. It's Gary Shanling. Gary Shanling. Avril Lavigne was Heather. Whoever that was. <gasps> Who was Heather? Who's Avril Lavigne? William Shatner was Ozzy. Heather Wanda was Sykes was in this movie. Yeah, I remember Wanda Stella. Sykes. Yeah, she was one of the possums. Oh, Deborah oh, Wilson okay. was in this movie. You don't even know who that is. No, I don't. Um, it's okay. <laughs> Alexis, do you want to read the next question from Mr. Ed? Yes, I'm going to pull it up. Here oh, it's it Sarah Junda from <laughs> like Star the Wars horse? Jedi Fallen Order. <laughs> Shut up hey, about Alexis. Star Wars already. <laughs> My questions this week are, mm, Ed, you're already in hot water. You notice how Doom left out Moss Chops and his plans fell apart? Obviously. Notice how Reed didn't bring Moss Chops back. Reed knew that was a mistake. <laughs> Moving Reed on. Reed did, though. Ed. Wait. Stop it. Wait, real quick. Did anybody just re- I just realized <laughs> Dr. Doom didn't bring his own fucking son back. <laughs> Christoph no, was back. back. When I was reading now, when Christoph's not here. <laughs> <laughs> he Adopted Franklin and Valerian was like, this is great. <laughs> it would have been even better if you saw Doom's family and there's like, there's Sue, there's there's Valeria, there's Franklin, and there's a little dog named Kristoff. Oh, I was just saying, there's just like an empty seat and everyone's always just like, I feel like, I swear to God, there's supposed to be someone else here. Doom's like, hmm, hmm. He's like, something's missing. I have my son, something's I have my really daughter. Missing. It's on the another tip of child? my tongue. They have another mm-hmm. daughter? Hmm. <sighs> 
Never mind. Do I have a, a house cat? <laughs> he, he had what eight years guy. to remember that name. Also, <laughs> eight years. You would think that he would also like bring back like I don't know his actual like love of his life or his mom. His mom. What's he doing? Honestly, what a weird guy. <laughs> What a dang-ass freak. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> it's like, all right, you've got the power of God. Would you like to fix your life? No, I'd like to no. cuck my enemy. <laughs> Do you think this if we talk so about true. Doom like this, if he was a real person, you think he'd kill us? Do you think, probably. like, he... Oh, yeah. Probably I would not down. be talking about Doom like this if he was a real person. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. we drone strike out the window right now. Yeah. Before yeah. this episode <laughs> would even be over. Like, yeah. if you've seen the creator, that giant spaceship is over each of our house right now. <laughs> Great. Question anyway, number two. Sorry, question. You're good. Notice how Namor started covering his chest and his plans fell apart? <sighs> Makes sense. No one gives a shit about Namor. Uh, speak for yourself. Yeah, speak for your... Yeah, this uh, is boys, boys, boys. I'm sorry. He... When Daniel Warren Johnson drew that Namor and Sue Storm commission, that was the craziest thing that's ever happened on the internet. On Beyonce's internet, that was the craziest thing that's ever happened. Beyonce's internet? Oh my. Evan's looking it up right now and he's going, he's in for a treat. (laughs) That's the craziest image that's ever been drawn. Wait, have you never seen that before, Evan? Live Evan reaction, his face just melted like Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Yo! That's the craziest picture anyone's ever drawn. Holy shit! With the octopus, right? Oh my god! Yeah, he's, that's crazy. This is he's insane. It. He's got like I gotta get this most, on my wall. <laughs> the most majestic face I've ever seen. It's like ooh, that. <laughs> I swear to this. God, I hate this picture. Uh, psych. That's the greatest picture ever made. Next it's question. Awesome. <laughs> Next question. Why do you think Johnny was able to go from an Avengers story to FF without anyone complaining? Bro, he's got the vibes. Mm-hmm. He's got the vibes. Nobody complains about a straight chiller. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. Jonathan's like, if I have to write a whole, if I have to write the Avengers for two years to make any of you people care about the Fantastic Four, I'll fucking do it. Watch me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tricked all of you. Um, Tricked you. And then what tie-ins did y'all read when the confidential battles happened? Hope y'all have a great week and a great New York Comic Con from it. We kind of talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't read any. Sorry. Hell yeah, I girl. look through and like actually list all the ones I read if I could. Let's see. Say, I, I read I told- Battleworld oh. and Humans, Master of Kung Fu, Star Lord and Kitty Pride, Ultimate End, uh, Journal Battleworlds, Runaways, Marvel Zombies, Age of Ultron vs. Marvel Zombies, Thor's, Ghost Racers, Red Skull, Siege. This isn't all of them. Where are the rest? Oh, that's right, because they're called Warzone. You guys would know that if you read them. <laughs> Looks like I'm the only true fan here. Let me just pull up the Warzone list real quick. I mean, I could have told you that. Uh, Renew Your Vows, I read. Old Man Logan, Civil War, A-Force, Infinity Gauntlet, X-Men 92, which I read some of, Planet Hulk, Spider-Verse, Inferno, Deadpool, Secret Secret Wars, which has had the debut of Gwenpool on the variant cover, uh, Modoc Assassin, Secret Wars 2099, Where Monsters Dwell, I did not read actually uh armor wars future imperfect i read uh giant size little marvel abx extinction agenda i read years of Fu- young years of future past i read uh Catherine and the carol clerks i actually read too mrs deadpool and the Halle commandos i read because i really enjoyed uh dugan's deadpool uh weird world i read because it was really cool looking uh 60- 1602 witch hunter angela i read and that was really good the first page is uh 
1602 Wolverine being killed, which is very fun. Uh, Runaways I read, Squatch and Sinister I read, E for Extinction I read, Corvax Saga I read, Age of Apocalypse I read, Spider Island I read, 1872 I read. Uh, I did not read Captain Britain and the Mighty Defenders. Uh, Guards of Nowhere I read, Hail Hydra I read. Oh, Guards of, Nor- of Nowhere was actually bad. That's the only bad one. Now I'm looking through it. Wait, uh, I'm, of course it was. Was, was Guardians 3000 a, a Secret Wars one, or was that just a crazy miniseries that I read that was really good? That is a crazy was, good miniseries yeah. you read. But the Guardians 3000 were in the Korvac saga. Was in this. Tie-in. Oh, okay. Dude, I used to read crazy comics. Like, I would mm-hmm. not read that right now. No matter if all of you, unless Evan or Anne looked me in the eyes and was like, you need to read this, I would never pick up Guardians of the Galaxy 3000 in a million <laughs> years. And yet, core memory reading that book in my family's basement. Yeah, I'm now realizing that I've read every single Warzone or Battleworld book, except for, like, two. Dude, that was me. So, yeah. I, f- I feel like the most in line our taste ever was, was the summer of 2014. <laughs> every time you're like, this is what I was reading, I was like, so was I. But from Utah. <laughs> <laughs> we were preparing for this exact friendship. Yes, it was all in the works. Mm-hmm. We, were doing the co- yep. we were doing the coursework. Yeah. All right, I, I oh, I'm sorry, Ann, you go. I was just because I did not read any of these when they came out, but later I read a few Marvel Zombies, Civil War, um, yeah, all great. Carol Core, yeah, okay, we can move on to the next question. Okay, I'm gonna skip a little bit ahead for the sake of time. Um, I'm gonna read Kurt's message. He says, I'd like to ask you all what you've taken away from this whole saga from Fantastic Four to Avengers to Secret Wars. Hickman and his collaborators have raised a lot of questions about individuals and groups trying to shape the world in their own image. What answers, if any, has this series led you to? Thanks as always. This series of episodes has been a blast. Thank you, Kurt. And thank you for the really thoughtful question. What do you feel like this set? I'd love for Alexis first. What do you feel like the thesis of this whole thing has been? I feel like for me, it was for my sweet, sweet little Fantastic Four babies to realize that they don't need nobody else and they can just live happily ever after creating universes by themselves. That's it. And that's what they deserve. Happiness, togetherness forever. Because they're my favorite. Word. How about you, Evan? What do you think about Hickman's saga about great men? <laughs> I do think that the biggest takeaway is boys, boys, boys. But um, <laughs> absolutely, I think that Hickman definitely leaves the ending of his Avengers run open to whether or not, you know, what they did was worth the risk or not. I think there's a, almost a clear answer of no, it wasn't. But I also think he leaves it up enough that if someone wants to make the argument that like they did what they had to do still, they damned their souls, but like they did the best thing they could have done. I wouldn't like laugh them out of the room or anything. I'd be like, I might disagree total, like totally, but I also be like, I see where you're coming from. And that's a discussion to have. And I think it's an interesting one Hickman allows to happen. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I think the message is really about, uh, you know, what godhood, what, what like the most human thing to do with godhood really is. And I think the answer is in the fantastic fours of, you know, we use it, sparingly and everything but at the end of the day we are just man and we don't know what's best for the world so that's why reed doesn't keep on that's why like i was saying before everyone who tries to play god fails you know it starts with cyclops cyclops tries to play god doom cracks him down then it's thanos's turn he gets cracked down doom's whole thing starts to unravel 
Black Panther comes up, he gets cracked down, and then Doom finally gets cracked down um, in the end because, you know, we're mad and we're all valuable and we're all just trying to do our best. So, at the end of the day, the most important thing, that I also, another thing we didn't really touch up on is like the importance of family in this run. Uh, there's a big moment we kind of like totally glossed over where <clears throat> like Reed and Reed, uh, sorry, Reed 616 and Reed Ultimate, the maker, who's my boy and the hottest guy in the world, um, they are going through and trying to solve like uh, what to do about doom and everything and they have a conversation and the maker implies like reed like you're pretty weak man like you you don't have the guts to do what needs to be done and 616 reed is literally just like you have no friends or family like you, <laughs> you have no love and this is what no love yeah. does to a motherfucker <laughs> like so you're weaker than me because of that and my family gives me strength not weakness and maker's like okay and then cries inside because he'll never get any bitches and so then the story continues and Reed wins because of his love for his family. And it's why Doom loses, why the Maker loses. It's even why Thanos loses. Like, the only winners here are, I think, Reed and T'Challa because at the end, they're like the endpoints of the story, really. And they were fighting for something bigger than themselves, something more important, while everyone else was fighting for um, what they thought was the right vision. So, I don't know if I made an actual point there, but maybe that's the point Hickman was trying to make. Maybe all we are are just men on this planet. Men on this planet <laughs> talking about <laughs> and woman and woman. They got to do stuff um, about make sure make sure that's singular. Man and woman. Yes, yeah, Carol Danvers. There's one. Yeah, one time too. Um, and at least it was your favorite one. Yeah, it could be any woman in the world, but it, it was could Carol have been Danvers. Medusa. It could have been my favorite woman, Medusa. Yeah, it could be my favorite woman, Gwenpool. But no wasn't that i d- actually don't think it could have been your one woman i, I don't okay. think she fits tonally well agree like, to disagree like if we're so, if we're talking secret wars here i don't think gwenpool's showing up she's not getting thrown okay. on that life raft all right um i think she would be on the r- life raft uh because she would be so you <laughs> smell funny and that's why i think hickman was trying to say is that dallas smells funny and he's wrong and evan's right that was actually what Ultimate End number five was about, and then they <laughs> cut it for space. Damn it! I am inside that Kang armor. It's me. Oh, I'm him. I was like, "You're absolutely right." Who is in that Kang armor, by the way? Yeah, I can't. There's no way. I don't even feel smart about that one. I feel like we all know that. And if it's anybody else, we're all gonna look silly. And I like that. That's what Hickman's all about. All of us looking silly together, family, family. What he's actually about is read Doom and anyone that didn't like Ultimate End, read it again. Read it with your eyes open this time. I'm sorry. Anne, it's your turn. What did you think of the Hickman saga? What do you think it had to say about society? Please don't say I didn't. Jeez. I think there's a lot of really interesting points being made. And I love Hickman's insistence upon binaries in terms of just life and death black and white and the the mixing of the two that we get towards the end um i it makes me think about um a book that i had just finished Mistborn, where um you get towards the end of that and you start to find out that one of the points of the whole thing is that you needed a little bit of ruin and a little bit of preservation at the same time and that reminded me of Doom and Reed at the end here, because Doom was the only one who was able to take 
the power of the beyond it for himself. He did save the Marvel Universe. He was the one who did that through his means. But he was not the one who was right to remake it. That was the guy who tried to save it all from a different perspective. And I loved looking at it as the idea of like, that is just that as people. Sometimes we do the ugly things that will accomplish an end to to a certain point. But you need to have that hope. You need to have that optimism. You need to have that care to build something out of it. You can have ruthlessness to survive, but you need care to thrive. I love that. I think for me, the biggest takeaway really comes down to that read and maker conversation like Evan was talking about that ultimately what was demonstrated over this run was that men who put an ideal above their humanity are doomed to fail. And it is only once you put your humanity above those ideals when Reed Richards looked around and he said, my family is actually more important than everything else that things were set right. Like Reed at the beginning of this whole story consistently would not let go of his ideal, his idea that he could fix the whole world. And then Tony Stark and Captain America got looped into it as well, thinking that they were actually the ones that could set everything right. And Doom thought he could set everything right. And it wasn't until someone was willing to step up and say, I'm not setting this right as me like this is not about my ego this is not about setting myself up above everyone else this is about establishing something that humanity collectively can take in and then i am willing to stand on that equal plane with everyone else moving forward and i think that is an incredibly wise bit of (laughs) critique on humanity and i find that to be true I think this, I, I do not think that you can be great if you have stepped on anyone to get where you are. And I think that ultimately was the lesson of this big extended saga. Awesome. Love that. Should we do one more question? Why not? Lex, you pick. What is our last question? All right. Last question is from Gianni. Uh, says, hello again, Comics Collective. First off, how are you doing? Secret Wars is such an amazing conclusion to this saga and an amazing jumping off point to the Fantastic Four. What are each of your favorite moments, either in the entire Hickman saga or Secret Wars itself? That doom ripping Thanos spine out page turn was insane on my first read through. Also, I am going to New York Comic Con on Sunday and would absolutely love to get a pick with you guys if you're comfortable with that. Thanks and sending good vibes. Jimmy. Hell yeah. I'm about to be the cutest guy there. Are you getting, <laughs> so when you're looking for us, look for the freshest guy there. I, I got this knit polo on right now. It's so cute on me. I'm not going to lie. I have not cut out all this fast food from my life to look this good, to not have one million pictures of me taken at all times. He will be easy to spot because he is built like uh, one of the Twin Towers. He's humongous. So he's up there. She said that about New York Comic Con. That's crazy. <laughs> That's a crazy Damn, thing Lexi. Damn. Alexis Taylor. Alexis Taylor said, <laughs> anyway. As you if know, you we did know not about- call you an and that last week. You shut your damn mouth. 
pretty cancelable take there. You Alexa. called me a Furby today. I am still steaming about that over here. I stand by it. It's gonna it's gonna be great. You'll you'll recognize this. I'm gonna look like every gay stereotype imaginable. I've the definitely upped my fashion game a little bit. A gay like if the if the <laughs> twin towers were black. One of the towers was Yasified. <laughs> there's gonna be one tower and then there's gonna be a tower with lashes and some <laughs> lipstick. I love it. And like little pink nails. <clears throat> um anyways we can delete yeah. that in post um no we're not um <laughs> staying in you absolutely can take a picture with us and yeah. that goes for everybody if you see us in new york comic-con say hello take a picture with us we are friendly we are excited to see you all this will be the Hell first yeah. time that we as a gang are all together yeah if you see me fun. at comic-con i'll give you two hundred dollars that's Cash. an Evan Garrett Cash mm-hmm. money, Cash. yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Actually, I'll give you one. If you see me at New York Comic Con this year, I'll give you $1,000 in cash. No. And I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I think he's going as Deadpool this year. So, like, just go up to every single Deadpool you know and, like, Take the ask for off. your money. Yeah. The code yeah. is- <laughs> it's about time someone retaliates. <laughs> the code is, you go to, the- to me. I'll be dressed as Deadpool. You- the code is, you go to me and say, I have a gun. <laughs> give me all the money. <laughs> That's how you get your thousand dollars. It's simple. It's easy, and you need to project your voice. You I'll be dressed say as a bank the- teller. Make sure <laughs> behind the glass and everything. I won't tell you which bank, though. <laughs> He's a master of disguise. It's actually the Chase on Thirty Fourth and Sixth. <laughs> For legal purposes, this is a joke, but. For $1,000 right. purposes. <laughs> it's but not. also, money's money is all I'm saying. Gotta take that risk every once in a while. You might get that $1,000. Oh my god. Um, Favorite moment of the whole thing. Oh yeah. The last 10 months. I don't think I had one. I don't, I don't think I really liked this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in hindsight. Fucking miserable ended, experience. Am I right? Jeez. <laughs> they rolled the credits. I don't I think I smiled for, once. I, I haven't smiled in 10 months. That's crazy. Relatable. Damn, it's rough. I'm just kidding. It's when Carol chucked a Hulk at a guy from low orbit. That was. I love rough. that moment. I'm always gonna love that moment. Sure, I think we'll we give it to the. I really like the Hyperion and Thor moment where they're like, "Brother, I love you." Get another one's like, "Kiss me," and then they fight a <laughs> bunch of gods together and die. And I was like, "That was raw." And also, yay. And I like that. Hickman should do more gay stuff. True. Um, this is this is a crazy one for me. But Jamie Braddock swinging that sword, killing all the Marvel zombies, um, as drawn by Isad Ribic. I love how much Hickman loves Captain Britain. And I also love that one teeny Howard built an entire career on how much Jonathan Hickman loves Captain Britain. Like, go off, Queen. Absolutely mm-hmm. weaponize your interests. That rules. Hell yeah. How okay. about you, Lex? I loved the Future Foundation trying to bring back Johnny. That Aww. was my favorite thing. I love those little weird kids. Lex, there's a book 
where Ant-Man, She-Hulk, Medusa, and She-Thing hang out with all those kids. Hmm. That's called FF by Matt Fraction with Mike Allred, the artist from Silver Surfer, doing all the drawing. So if ever you want to visit those kids again, there is another run that we can read. That is very good to know. I will write that down. Yeah, there you go. I need to revisit this entire area era of Marvel comics because there's so many books I remember people like vaguely in my periphery being like, oh, that book was awful because I heard that about that. But then you just said like the creative team. I'm like, there is no way. There is no way that was a bad book. Yeah, it was it was a not dual a chance series. Dual series where it was what the regular Fantastic Four were up to, drawn mm-hmm. by Mark Bagley, written by Matt Fraction, and then what all the future Foundation kids being babysat by the backup Fantastic Four, who were all of the characters who have ever subbed in to be a member of the Fantastic Four, all had to mm-hmm. come together to be the Fantastic Four. And so because the all the subs are usually a woman to like balance it out for a little while to have an extra woman that backup team was just like all ladies and then scott lang (laughs) they have to babysit the kids while the rest of the fantastic four are off having fantastic four adventures so it's like it's a pretty fun run i'm gonna check it out i'm gonna read so much it has a very cheap omnibus that sounds rad that omnibus is perpetually like 40 dollars if you're ever like, man, I want a Fantastic Four omnibus, that one is always so cheap. Damn. But that brings us to the end of our Jonathan Hickman's Marvel Saga coverage. But before you go, before we roll credits, we've got a couple announcements. As you can see, if you look at your handy dandy podcast app, there's still more time on this episode. Some of our Favorite people working in comic books, journalism right now, are going to talk with you about their favorite tie-ins to the Secret Wars event. Hang around. I hope you love them. And I want Evan to introduce our next long-form read, which I'm pretty sure is going to start in January, but we're not 100% sure yet. Evan, what are we reading next? We're reading. The one, the only, no other like it, no other as good as it, no one as smart as it, no one as pretty as it, no one as intellectual as it, Hellboy. Hellboy! Boys, 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 the boys, boys, boys podcast ain't over yet. We're doing this some more. Coming back around. This boy is red. This boy is fighting Faye. Alexis, and for all those Fae that you want to hang out with, um, Hellboy's going to kill the shit out of them. It's awesome. They're way less cute in this one. They're a little bit ugly, which is awesome. Hellboy is one of my favorite comics of all time. When Evan approached us with Hellboy as his final decision for what we were reading next, I knew that I was living righteously and Anne was not. That, That was the first time... I truly won on this podcast. Wow. To be fair, Anne was never going to win because it was between that and The Walking Dead. So I feel like... <gasps> we could have read The Walking Dead. Next Girl, time. You can do it next Lexi time. almost won. Girl, Lexi didn't. almost won. Lexi almost Lexi. won. Lexi. Hellboy is... Imagine if Ben Grimm... The end. Mm-hmm. That's Hellboy. But That's fantasy. Good. Okay. Yeah. What if Extra Ben Grimm fans. had to pick up... Had to punch Nazis for the first half, 
And then was like, I punched all the Nazis. And then he had to pick up Excalibur and be like, time to punch a bunch of goblins. <laughs> That's the story, baby. It's pretty And half, halfway through, Just... he goes on this crazy boat ride that takes like 15 years over two issues and he's just like strung out at the end like i've changed as a man you're like i think i've changed as a man this is crazy there's also this one time period where like for a year he disappears and no one knows why to mexico and it's like one of the best comics you're ever going to read in your life it's so becomes a luchador yeah it's It's incredible we're about to read the best comic ever made Mm -hmm. we read the same man okay sorry you got it. All right, everyone. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. Evan, where can the people find you? Oh, you can find me on the Twitter sphere or at Blue Sky at Evan Reads Comics. You can also find me on the TikTok where I do TikToks every once in a while at Evan Von Doom. And hey, if you like my voice and you also like Dallas's voice, you can find our other podcast, What's Next? Comic Book Podcast, where every month we go over the monthly solicitations for Marvel, DC, Image, and Boom Studios and other places like that, like TKO and sometimes like IDW. And we talk about the solicitations that the publishers put out about their comics and talk about what we're excited about and what we're not excited about. And also go on rants usually about John Kent. Oh, and you can also follow them at What's Next Comics and on the TikTok at What's Next Comics. And my recommendation for you is not a comic this time. It's actually Stephen King's Revival because I just finished it and uh, it destroyed me. And then I went to a Weezer concert and now I feel great. So (laughs) also go to a Weezer concert. If you ever feel down about life, go to a Weezer concert. They will end with Buddy Holly. (laughs) I can guarantee that. And it'll make you feel great because they'll leave. You'll be like. They didn't play Buddy Holly. They don't come back on stage and play Buddy Holly. You're like, this is the best day of my life. And then you go home and sleep and you feel great. Um, That feels like a quite the chaser to Revival. Yeah. So I guess a little bit more context. So I was reading Revival and we was at a music festival all weekend. And then uh, I was really into Revival. I only had 100 pages left. And I was like, well, there's going to be this big gap between two concerts. It was like Fits in the Tantrums and Weezer. And they're like three or two hours apart. So I was like, I could read a little bit of that while I'm sitting with my family at a table. So I brought it with me. Went to Fits in the Tantrum. Had a great time. Sat down. I was like, all right, time to read some revival. Read up to the epilogue where all the shit goes down. And then the epilogue's like uh, the cool down stuff. And I was just like, oh my God. And my, my sister was like, it's time to go to Weezer. And I was like, let's go. And then I went to Weezer. And I felt revived. Revivaled, if you will. Shoot. Shoot. Oh. It's in the title. Shoot. There was like a secret electricity in that concert or something. Anyway, roll credits. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, want to say thank you for the last 10 months and you don't have cold, hard cash in hand, you can instead give us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts to stroke our egos. We don't get enough of those, you know? Every time you write something nice about this show, Mm -hmm. an angel gets its wings. So... Do the Lord's work. Take that five minutes. Mm-hmm. Write us a review. We work yeah. hard at this. Hell it's yeah. What night. the hell is said? Stroke us or whatever. Oh, no. Finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. I will see y'all next week where we cover The Last Musketeer. By Jason. By Jason. Alexis went deep indie cut she went like cool artists artist comic book 
when Alexis put The Last Musketeer by Jason on this, I said, who told her about those? And hell yeah, that's the coolest girl pick of the week. I was thrilled. Jason is awesome. We're going Swedish comics? Fuck everyone else. This is the number one podcast. Oh, that's what you know this what? is. You know okay. what I did, actually? Okay. You know when you like tweeted, it was like, whoever gets the most likes will do on the episode. Uh, and it ended wait. up like being some terrible Batman or something. Venom. Oh, Venom. Ryan <laughs> anyway, I went into those comments and I was like, hmm, let's see what else is in here. And then I looked up just about everything and I put wrote some down. So thank you all for doing that. Yeah, The Last Musketeer is a great comic. It's what got me into Jason, so maybe this will click for everyone else, because I think Jason's great. I Killed Adolf Hitler is another great Jason comic to chase The Last Musketeer with. Last Musketeer is the best one to start with, though. Rad. You, you picked right. Thanks. Hell yeah. And awesome. we'll catch you next week. Stick around for the back half of the episode. Bye. 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 Forever. Wait, what? Hello, fans of the Comic Collective. This is Greg with the First Issue Club, here to talk to you about Secret Wars Battle World in uh, cooperation or, <laughs> what is it, a, a tie-in, really, to their show about uh, Secret Wars. Now, isn't that fun? It a was tie a tie-in tie comic, and then we're a tie-in podcast. <laughs> uh, we're very excited to talk about uh, Secret Wars Battle World. It kind of encompasses what we are as a show, <laughs> which is scattered and not in continuity. Yep. Very true. Loosey-goosey. Um, if you haven't heard of us, we are the First Issue Club. My name is Greg. I'm Mike. And I'm Vargas. And every week we... Uh, review and read the first issues of the week and talk about which ones we liked and which ones you think uh, we think we, you need to check out. That's the sum whole of it. You know, and how many of these podcasts really have names that really give a perfect summation of what they are? First issue club. Mm -hmm. mm. When we when we first started, we wanted to be so on the nose. Tasty little mouthful, that, that you couldn't, title. You couldn't even misconstrue what we were about. Yep. But enough about us. Let's get in to Secret Wars Battle World. Um, these are four issues, many creators on them. Yes. So we can't just have one through line of just like, hey, Jonathan Hickman wrote this. But there are a lot of notable creators on here. Yep. Such as Donny Cates. Uh, All right. I'll just go down the line. I've got it in front of me. <laughs> okay. So issue one is by Ed Brisson and Josh Williamson Ooh. with Mike Henderson and Scott Hepburn on art. Issue two, <clears throat> Donnie Cates and David F. Walker wrote uh, Marco Truni, Turney and Juven Kirby did art. Issue three, Ryan Ferrier and Ivan Brandon wrote Logan Faber, Aaron Co Conley and Paul Pope did a one page backup story. And then issue four, James Stokey. And Peter David wrote, and then James did, uh, he, he wrote his story, and Daniel Valdez did art. Yeah. So hopefully I pronounced those names semi-correctly. The, I think, message here is that they weren't messing around with this miniseries. There's no. some really great talent. And I'll say one of the really cool things about it was at, at the time when you think of this was, when this was published, which was 2015. Yes, sir. Um, 
There are some people on that list that are not very popular at the time, and mm-hmm. then there are other people on that list that were Peter in, David. In, Just in say dis- Peter David. Industry <laughs> stalwarts. I think Ed Brisson and Ed too. Brisson. Yeah. Uh, but now a lot more of those names are commonplace. If you're a comic book fan, James Stokoe and um, Donny Cates, especially. Well, so the 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 big key issue from this series is <laughs> that's a thing we also do on the show. We say that a lot. <laughs> Issue two is Donny Cates' first written work at Marvel. Yeah. So that's cool. Interesting footnote, I guess. Notable item to have in your comic book collection. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think if were this series released today, because of all the weird alternate versions of characters, yeah. I think there would have been more buzz surrounding this particular tie-in. Yes. Because a lot more variant covers for sure. Yeah. First appearance, quote unquote. First cover appearance of <laughs> Earth fifty seven, mm-hmm. you know, Helverine. Um, whatever it was at any given time. But um and I also think these four issues would have been one ten dollar issue. They would have just made a, a mega annual. Right? No, yeah. they each would have been six bucks. They each would have been <laughs> yeah. six dollars. Yeah, they would have raised the price. Uh, I, I'll give Marvel some kudos here and their strength. They only kept it to four issues. Yeah, right. This could have been an ongoing 10-plus series of all just wacky stories with some really up-and-coming creatives at the time. Well, and if they did that, I would have re- read all of it. Yeah, Andy famously bought every <laughs> Secret Wars mainline and tie-in book. Yeah, I was all in on Secret Wars. Did you have a favorite tie-in? From Secret Wars? Yeah. Um, what are we talking about? Andy? Yeah. Um, I really liked the Planet Hulk story. Yeah. Where Captain America teamed up with Devil Dinosaur. Yep. Um, I also really liked Hail Hydra. Yep. Which was the Captain America, like, in Hydra City yep. story. Um, the Marvel Zombies stuff was fun. Mm-hmm. The Marvel Zombies versus Age of Ultron was cool. Um, I mean, there were just so many great tie-ins. Yeah, weird, you could, you weird could just world, all of them. Like, yeah, I mean, weird, truly. We're, weird World and Thor's. Yeah, were Thor's. Were yeah, Thor's was awesome. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about those. Sorry. Boys. We're here to talk tangent. about Battle World. <laughs> Um, these, these were great. These were kind of just like, you get two or three stories an issue. Yeah. And each, and what was brilliant about this series is you could pick up any one of the four and read it and not be confused because there's no through line through the entire series of like, you're following one concrete story or one concrete character. Right. All you need to know is that 616 and 6160, I think are like, yeah, in ultimate the, universe are in the same yeah. arena essentially. Well, so yeah, all the universes smashed together mm-hmm. to that's create. What, that's what made Battle World, and that's what I loved about it because you get to see different versions or alternate versions of your heroes. Or like in, in issue one, we get a mixture of uh, the Punisher and Doctor Strange. So good, which was incredible because he had yeah. his magic uh, guns shooting magic bullets, the magic rocket launcher. It was like. it, yeah. He uh, <laughs> I like how he used his powers to calm the Hulk. Who then turned into Bruce Banner, who then turned into dust. Yeah. Like just some stone cold <laughs> paneling from that series. Yeah. This I'd say the series as a whole is a good respite from the seriousness of the rest of Secret Wars mm-hmm. and those yeah. tie-ins that and I'll say too, one of the famous things about Secret Wars is that the issues were spaced so far apart that a lot of fans kind of lost the thread mm-hmm. while waiting for the subsequent issue. Right. And these were just like, it's going to be fun 
Yeah. yeah. No matter what. So I really appreciate, I remember appreciating these at the time because they weren't so heavy handed. Mm-hmm. And also like, just like this could have been a throwaway thing for Marvel, but like the quality of each book just, I think elevates this to a status, status of just like, it's not really like quirky or fun, but like, it's a quality, just like what if is it basically yeah. a what if series, right? It, it really feels like Marvel just were, were like, Maybe, maybe they said, here's the characters we'd like you to use. Or like, do you have a fun idea with this Secret Wars thing that you can do five pages on Mm -hmm. and just let people go nuts? I really do think that because there's like a a paneling in the Wolverine series, the storyline, where there's like a thousand different versions of Wolverine just going after one another. Yeah, And I'm sure like whatever editor at the time that was doing this series was just like, I just need a bunch of Wolverines on a page. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, okay, we, like, we, can, we can totally do that. So should we talk about each of the individual stories? I think we should just talk about the highlights. What was, what were your favorites? Mike D. Oh gosh. I, um, my favorite was the James Stoku silver uh, surfer, silver surfer. Yep. Where a little bit of it. This is a silver surfer who was on, Egypt. No. Um what is what is their what was his original planet called? Something Law? Zen Law. Zen Law. A little bit of Zen Law had made it into Battleworld. And the surfer was still the herald of Galactus. He kills a giant crocodile, which is like another universe's Fing Fang Foom, I think. Fing Fang Foom, right. (laughs) And chops it up with the juggernaut brings Fing Fang Foom back for Galactus to eat and then finds that Galactus has eaten that little chunk of Zen Law that made it to Battle World. Yeah. And thusly destroys uh, Galactus with whatever remaining cosmic power he has. But I love that story. That's one of my favorites, too. Yeah. Um, The art is the highlight for that story. Like, it's a cool story, but the fact that we get, like, ancient Egyptian Galactus and ancient Egyptian Silver Surfer yeah. is so sick. It was They were very stunning. Yeah. And then the, I think the Peter David story that ended this was also a Silver Surfer story. Yeah. Where he had the surfer's board in his trophy room. Uh, yeah. Or this maestro. Was, this is yeah. the maestro, yeah, because we're talking Peter David, gotta talk maestro. Gotta talk maestro. <laughs> <laughs> Contractually, we have to talk maestro. <laughs> Everyone, did you ever get into any of the maestro storylines? That was something that I kind of missed initially. I think and, I, I read some of the, like, essential reading that like yeah. as a to to renew my nerd card i had to make sure that i knew like the base points of yeah. his series yep they've brought him back a handful of times in mini series and i'm always like what's the deal with this hulk i need to do the same but um in any case yeah he's got a trophy room and he's like one of doom's barons i think mm-hmm. and uh he was gifted by doom a damaged surfer board right. which is made up of like you know the power cosmic mm-hmm. and Silver Surfer comes to get it back and restore it. Well, what I thought was cool is it wasn't just any Silver Surfer. It was the Silver Surfer that was on Maestro's version of the Defenders with him. Yeah, So they, like, had a history. Mm -hmm. And I love that Maestro is, you know, this all-knowing whatever. He's, like, the... Pompous. Yeah, he's this big jerk. And Silver Surfer just comes in and, like, totally punks him. Yeah. He's like, you can't do anything to stop me. Yeah. Don't even try. (laughs) And they just, like... 
destroy one another. Like like yeah. Silver Surfer is just like manhandling Maestro, <laughs> and I think he he gives him the coldest line at the end, like to the Silver Surfer does to Maestro of just like. For your sake, I hope we never meet again, because yeah. it will be the last. And I was just like, God <laughs> dang. Like, that is incredible. Uh, I think one of my favorite series was obviously the Blade Duck, uh, <laughs> like Donald Duck, Darkwing Duck kind of world thing. That was hilarious. Yeah. But I really loved the Wolverine series where all these Wolverines were like just kind of always in berserker mode fighting one another. And then you find this like peaceful Zen Wolverine who is just like... Like he's like, I've reached this point of peace. Like yeah. I can teach you all, and they just they kill him. All the Wolverines <laughs> yeah. turned against him. I was just like, that is kind of like a sad story of just like he was trying to like relinquish these Wolverines of their pain, and, he, and like they're just like, no, nah, we just need to kill them. <laughs> That's I mean the visuals in that and all the different Wolverines were were just so much fun to look at, and I did like the I think Donny Cates' story was the arcade kill kill Kilosseum. Yeah, where General Ross is like a big he's cyborg. Yeah. yeah, it seemed like Donny Cates hadn't yet become the Donny Cates that wrote those great. Oh, definitely cosmic ghostwriter stories and Venom stories. Like he was still cutting his teeth for sure at getting into Marvel stuff. I mean, he definitely played it down. Yeah, compared to what I think he would have done. Yeah. At at the peak of his powers. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you'd given him like a mini, like, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been like, holy shit, this is the but I think this that, is the one. I think that, that just speaks to his kind of brilliance of like the comic book game. Yeah. Like he's like, okay, let me introduce myself. I don't want to bog you down with too many words <laughs> and like a lot of exposition. He yeah. just kind of stuck to the point of like General Ross is now War Machine, and some stuff's going to go down. He's in the Coliseum. Yeah, and there's zombies. I'm Donny Cates. Nice to meet you. How are we doing on time, comic book uh, podcast listeners? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention at least Paul Pope's one-page Ant-Man story. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> where it's all these different Ant-Men fighting each other, and then the big Ant-Man steps on steps all on of them. them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, to wrap it all up in summation, it's just a lot of fun. You yeah. got you got four issues of like multiple stories, multiple versions of the characters you've loved. It's not tied too closely to the Secret War stuff, where it's like if you don't read the Secret War stuff, you're going to be confused by Battle World. It's just a lot of fun. Think of it as a what if series. Uh, you get to see a lot of cool creators kind of get taken off the leash mm-hmm. and left to their own devices. So, um, you know. As the kids say, 10 out of 10 would recommend Dab on the Haters. <laughs> yeah, if you have uh, Marvel Universe, is that the name of their app? Unlimited. 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 Wow, Grandpa. <laughs> if you have Marvel Unlimited, this is a great one to just like pick a random issue in between stuff. Yeah. Uh, every the Paneling's fun. The writing's great. Like I said, four issues, small investment. Uh, I loved it. Yep. So uh, that is our recap of the tie-in Battle Worlds for our tie-in section of the Comics Collective Podocalypse. I'm just going to call it that. <laughs> Perfect. Not copyrighted. Go ahead and use it if you want. Uh, again, we're First Issue Club. We're on all the social medias you can think of. Just go at First Issue Club and we're probably there. we got a Patreon, First Issue Club, if you want to check that out. Uh, we love you and we hope we're... you have a good time. Bye.
Hello to Dallas, Lexi, Anne, and Evan. This is Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, and I hope you're all enjoying Secret Wars so far. I've got a huge soft spot for this story because to me, Secret Wars and its tie-ins show what these heroes do when the hope they embody runs out. Some end up bending under the weight of everything around them, but others end up rising to the occasion. And that's why one of my favorite tie-ins to this event is the ending of Al Ewing and Luke Ross's Captain America and the Mighty Avengers. Uh, now this is kind of a cheat since it's more of a lead-in than a tie-in, but to me, this series is the perfect answer to everything Hickman is saying with the Illuminati. Uh, the series is built around a team of heroes and civilians trying to prove themselves, with the last issue focused around them trying to save as many people as they can during the final incursion. And, not surprisingly, we see them all helping out any way they can, pulling people out of wreckage or talking everyone through what's happening. It's such a simple, brilliant idea, and it reminds me that even when the world around us seems hopeless, we all have the chance to step up and be heroes in our own way. I hope you're enjoying all the other tie-ins, happy casting, and remember, everything lives. Secret Wars was the 2015, and it's crazy to think it was that long. I know, I? the before times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the event of from Marvel where um, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run essentially built to a point where all realities collapsed and were destroyed, and Doctor Doom saved what he could by forming a new battle world out of the multiverse. And this meant that there was different districts with different realities, uh, so there was a bunch of spin-off books. Um, mostly what came out of this event in terms of the main series, I think, is the death of the momentum of Spider-Gwen, which she's never recovered from, because <laughs> all books got cancelled and relaunched, and her new book had only lasted like five issues, and I don't think the cancelling reissue did her, uh, relaunched did her any favours. And uh, the most significant thing, I think, to come from it was uh, Miles being brought into the um, 616. Yeah, one, the, yes. the, the end of the Ultimate Universe. Right. And the end of the Which Ultimate Universe. now Hickman's trying to bring back. He's brought that back, yeah. This was Aaron also comes back. Fantastic Four yep. were benched for a few years. Yes, because of the well, this, um, yeah. Fox well, this, uh, thing. Yes, that's right. This was not, not only the culmination of Hickman's Avengers, but also his Fantastic Four as well. Yeah, he, he left Marvel for a few years before coming back to do um, X-Men for a yep. cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, I bet I can guess your favorite of these miniseries, Glenn. I have a few I want to shout out, but I believe that both of you will be able to guess my favorite because it's not that hard. Yeah, It relates to a Spider-Man and a Dan Slott. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my absolute favorite here and what I consider uh, an instant classic is Renew Your Vows, the story that dealt with uh, Peter and Mary Jane as a married couple and a daughter, uh, Anya May, um, Annie May, excuse me, who was new. So traditionally we'd seen uh, May Parker, May Day. Uh, and in the reality that was, that was run by a uh, evil kind of overseer whose name escapes me. Um, and it was basically like superheroes had been outlawed, uh, Peter kind of skirted onto the radar because he retired after Venom came to his home and threatened to kill Mary Jane and Annie May's uh, a baby or a toddler. 
and um, they defeated him and Peter came back into action and overthrew the bad guy, etc, etc, etc. And then spun out into a great little ongoing that was written initially by Jerry Conway and then uh, taken over by Judy Hauser, which I think is the only time that uh, a woman has written like a Spider-Man ongoing. And even then it was on continuity. Um, so yeah, th- this is my favorite. But there was a few others I enjoyed. But before I talk about those, uh, which ones do you guys want to highlight? Well, for me, like thinking back, there were a lot that I really enjoyed. And one you didn't mention that I was sure would be my favorite when it was coming out was Nate Stevenson's Runaways. And I'd completely forgotten. It's, <laughs> it's basically the one work of theirs I could never fully get into because it wasn't really Runaways. However, there's one that ties into what I think is one of the greatest Marvel runs of all time. Mm-hmm. And this was just such a thoroughly bonkers take on the concepts the creator had been playing with. And this is Thor's by Jason Aaron and Chris Sprouse, which was set in a world where which basically treated Thor as a cop crime story in a world where just about everyone had a hammer. (laughs) It was part over-the-top fantasy epic, part noir mystery, with Thor's every which way you look, Beta Ray Bill playing a key role, Throg playing a key role, (laughs) and one of the darkest takes on Loki I remember in a long time. I think it's a fantastic chapter of the Thor run by Jason Aaron that many people might not know about. Yeah, yeah, I read this for the first time in the first Aaron Forum newsletter, and I thought it was brilliant. I mean, it's just like it's just crazy to think like you can do Thor as like a hard-boiled crime drama, which you would never think to do. But it just shows that if you're talented enough um, and you have the story, that you can do really any story of any character and yeah this was basically uh fours of the multiverse were like the police force for doom who had replaced odin as the all father and uh a four well there was murders going across the battle world of jane fosters were being killed that was the plot i believe and uh they were trying to figure out why this was and i thought it was excellent yeah it was really really good so I did very little to remember, familiarize myself with all of these minis, uh, other than going to Wiki and, and looking through some of my my notes from almost a decade ago. Uh, no surprise, I enjoyed the the X Men related minis. But I'm a a mark for that. Uh, but similar to Renew Your Vows, spinning out into an, an ongoing, there was one here that. If memory serves, spun out into a 50-issue ongoing, uh, and that was Old Man Logan, which is, oh, yeah. you know, obviously a re, uh, a redo of what Millar did initially, or taking the, those concepts. But this mini um, in the Secret Wars was written by Bendis with art by Andrea Sorrentino, and would go on to have the ongoing, I believe, uh, Lemire for all of that with Sorrentino on. I don't remember how much. Actually, I'm not sure if. Lemire actually did all of Old Man I think Logan. he, I think he did all, I think he did all of it, yeah. Yeah, so. He, I believe he did, I believe he did a self-contained run of about 30 odd issues, I think entirely with Sorrentino, and they tried to keep it going for a while after. Okay. It. Oh, because they, uh, Eddie, Ed Eddie Barrows, Ed Brisson, excuse me, <laughs> did it, yeah, with, um, with someone or other, yeah. 
but I it was think... solid, but it was not. It was not the same book. Yeah, but I, I think if memory serves, the old man Logan, I think it's the first time that Lemire and Sorrentino worked together. So we might have this to thank for some amazing work that has come, yeah. <laughs> come since. Yeah, Green Lamp, Green Arrow, and all the image stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't read this yet because I always thought they were doing omnibus. I'm surprised they haven't yet. I'm waiting too for that. Actually, I'm pretty sure Green Arrow by Lemire and Sorrentino came before this. Oh, oh yeah, because that was only yeah, a few you're years. Right. New Fifty Two. Hey, all right. Oh, so my revision of history is wrong. <laughs> didn't Lemire work for with Sorrentino a bit on Animal Man? Might have. Sure. Anyway, uh, doesn't stop matter. poking um, holes in my stories, my lies. S- sorry, uh, this was the first time that a comic book had ever been produced. <laughs> <laughs> um. See, another one I wanted to call out that I might have flown on the radar a little bit. Um, this was written by Jason Aaron with art by Mike Del Mundo, Weird World, which was just a, a visual masterpiece. It's just crazy. Yes. World. Like, it, and they, I think they actually tried to spin off an ongoing out of this one, too, that lasted maybe an arc. Um, but yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, uh, the Secret Wars tie, just, just for the visuals and uh, the wacky magic of it all. Uh, there's a few of these that I for- or didn't read or didn't know anything about that surprised me with the creative teams. Did you know one of these was written by Joshua Williamson? Yeah, Red Skull, which was yeah. I believe, about Bucky and a team trying to assassinate the Red Skull, which is the only type of Red uh. Skull comic I care to read. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I did not remember. I, I, I don't think I ever read it. There's a lot of these I didn't read. This was all pre the, I, I believe, our... Um, relaunching of the podcasts. So 2015, I don't remember when we came back. Yeah, but... we came back around 2017, I believe. Was it? Okay. So yeah, so this was before the return of the pod, so I wasn't reading everything that notable <laughs> that came out. Um, a lot of these I've picked up in back issue bins since the um, since they came out. Uh, was there anything else that you guys wanted to call out from this list here? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. The only other one I, I wanted to mention was uh, Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars. Ooh, I forgot about that which one. Would, which wasn't really a part of the event, but came out during the event. That was Duggan's... That was the reason for the Deadpool book at the time. And it was basically Duggan telling the untold story of, the, of Deadpool in the original Secret Wars, which obviously took place before he was even created. And I think this is brilliant. Uh, it's a brilliant tribute, not only to the original story, but a fantastic little sort of new angle to it. And just just very, very funny. Just very funny. Nice. Um, the last thing I want to call out is the, uh, and this was just a lot of fun, uh, Giant Size Little Marvel AVX, written and drawn by Scotty Young. Yes. <laughs> just fun nonsense. <laughs> In the best Scotty Young manner. All right, so that's a right, well, quick yep. retrospective. Thanks, thanks to the collective. Yeah, and I guess uh, to round out this out for the the bit that we'll send over to the Comics Collective. This has been the Rabbit Stew Comics Podcast. You can find us on all the all the podcatchers out there. Please uh, check us out. Drop us a review. Do all those things. All right, Bye. and. Gotta check out the comics countdown, which I believe. Yes. No, no, no I, I meant buy for that. No, I know. I was. Uh, 
I was segueing really poorly. Comics Countdown is a thing that we yes, could do yes. now. <laughs> well, howdy, Comics Collective. Voice actor and host of Geek Explained, Eric Azana here reporting live from Zone 6 on Battleworld, a.k.a. the Valley of Death. Doom. I got separated from my good brothers, my partners in crime, Malcolm and Jacob, on our way out of Doomguard. They're uh, getting some kind of trouble with the uh, Thorcore, but I really wanted to take a second to talk about 1872. This is the... Secret Wars Battle World tie-in that deals with Marvel in the Old West, specifically in the town of Timely. This is a four-issue tie-in, and I love this series. It is absolutely incredible. Taking an Old Western Magnificent Seven spin on the Avengers and telling a succinct story in four issues while making it still feel incredibly lived in. Written by Jerry Duggan, uh, pencils and inks by Nick Varela. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, Colorists is the uh, incomparable Lee Luffridge with letters by Clayton Cowles. And this story mainly focuses on the character Red Wolf. And that's something that I absolutely love about this story is the wide cast of characters. But it's still very focused Across the four issues, it tells a classic old-school Western story, just with some of the trappings and familiar characters from the Marvel Universe. Uh, the I, I don't want to say the main character, because it's really an ensemble cast, but everything kind of kicks off with Sheriff Steve Rogers, which if you know me, you know why I love this story. Uh, not just that, but also... Because Dallas pred- uh, correctly predicted that I would love this story because most of the character designs, I think all of the character designs are done by uh, my lord and savior, my patron saint, Doc Shaner. I really, I love the characters in this. So you've got Sheriff Steve Rogers, you've got the town drunkard, former inventor Tony Stark. Everything is overseen by Mayor Wilson Fisk, and those three characters really kind of roll through everything. It expands out, obviously. Red Wolf becomes kind of the de facto hero of the story across the four issues. And we also get characters like Dr. Bruce Banner. We get Ben Urich, my boy, Ben Urich. Uh, We get an array of different assassins. Maybe my favorite bullseye design with the just old school city gentleman uh, with still the the uh, Colin Farrell target. I don't want to, I think it's tattooed. I don't know on his head. Uh, we get Natasha, Natasha Barnes specifically love the world building. Again, having a story that feels so lived in taking a world that I want to spend more time with. I'm a sucker for westerns, as it is. And I'm a stu- I'm just a sucker for good stories and stories of rebellion. And having the story of this town kind of coming together to fight off the corruption that has had its claws in the town for however many years, probably decades. Uh, we've got also appearances by characters like Simon Williams, Carol Danvers, 
all across the space of Marvel. Nobody is off limits when it comes to this. But then as the story goes along, and no spoilers because you need to read this story, it's incredible. Four issues, not a huge time commitment, it's amazing. We get to see not just the establishment of the characters that were already in the town of Timely, but you get to see the wider world with Governor Roxxon and how much that has influenced the area. You get to see more characters pop up throughout the story, and at the end of it, it's not just the ending of a story, it's the beginning of an entire, like, 1872 line of comics, which I would be so down for. It would be incredible. Old West takes on all of these characters you get to see the evolution of the main cast while also leaving hints for future characters there's clues for the hulk there's clues for spider-man punisher daredevil deadpool all of these different things and it just speaks to why Secret Wars was such a successful event. A lot of times when you come to large-scale events, especially in recent years, in the last 10-15 years, uh, you you see a lot of the main book either being really strong and the side, you know, tie-ins being basically forgettable or at worst just really, really bad. Or the opposite, where with certain books that we've been reading over on the uh, Geek Explained Book Club, uh, the main book is not great and the tie-ins are really good. So it just depends. But when it comes to Secret Wars, there was not a single book that I think was certainly not bad at all. And I think what the magic of secret wars was and battle world just in general was all of the different zones showing off obviously the multiverse multiverse is real big right now and the culmination of the idea of side content of side stories of tie-ins every single one of these is strong every single one of these is a snapshot of another world that could have been, might still be, who knows. But for me, uh, right alongside Thor's, which is just incredible, and we did a full episode dedicated to it on the Geek Explained Book Club where we gushed about Ultimate Thor and everything that makes him the ultimate Thor, the perfect Thor. Um, getting to see worlds like 1872 or even stories like... Uh, Star-Lord and Kitty Pride, which I know Evan loves. I really, I love each and every one of these tie-ins. I love each and every one of these worlds. I love each and every one of these stories. But having something that is so near and dear to my heart, Western, stories of heroes, stories of rebellion, everything encompassed right here in 1872 and really kind of stretching what you can find when you put it under the quote-unquote multiversal umbrella really speaks to how strong the event was, how excited all of the creators were to tell all of these separate side stories and just why secret wars might just be and in my personal opinion is the greatest event that marvel has ever 
done. Now, I think it's about time for me to mosey on out of here and ride off into the sunset. So Comics Collective, thank you for having me on. Thank you for covering one of the best books I've ever read. And thanks for talking about a series that is very near and dear to my heart and an event that stands head and shoulders above anything that's come before it. Comics Collective, much love. This has been Eric Azana for Geek Explained. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Hey, all you flirting nerds, it's Fat Thor from the Sons of Milnir podcast. I am here on behalf of the Comics Collective podcast as they have been so generous to ask me to come here and talk to you guys all about Thor's, the Secret Wars tie-in that's going to be written by Jason Aaron and Chris Sprouse. And I just want to say before we get started, thank you so much to Dallas Ann, and Lexi for inviting me on here and giving me the opportunity to talk about this miniseries. Because obviously, as the Thor guy, I love this story. And I mean, any opportunity to talk about Thor is just a great day for me. So I'm super happy to be here. Thank you guys again so much for having me. But let's get right into it. Let's not waste any more time. We're talking Thor's, like I said, the Secret Wars tie-in. This is going to be a four-issue miniseries. And this this little miniseries is so much fun. It's basically, you have basically every Thor that has ever existed. And they are all the tops of this new world battle world that uh, Doom has created. If you guys have been listening to the rest of this episode or and or series from the Comic Collective podcast, then you'll kind of already know what's going on here. So I won't go too much into the Secret War side of it. So basically, like I said, Doom has created this world battle world and tasked with uh, policing all of battle world are the Thors extraordinary men and women from each domain deemed worthy to meet out justice in the service of doom the all-father when a serial killer was discovered targeting the same woman across every domain partners ultimate thor and better ray bill begin their investigation and that kind of sets us up what uh, this story is about and it like again it's just so cool because it's like all the thors together and not only are they together but they're like tops and like being worthy is basically a badge that you carry, which I think is just a really cool and fun concept. And uh, I wanted also to introduce you guys to some of the Thors that we have in this story. And I want to talk about really quickly also uh, Chris Sprouse, his art in this book is so, so good. And not only is the art so good, but what I really love about it is, again, we have all of these Thors, but they kind of match the style of the book that they're from so like for example we have old thor who's basically like the sheriff of all these cops and he's kind of more in like assad style and then we also have uh as i mentioned ultimate thor who's kind of more in the ultimate style like it's they all fit in this book but again it's just really cool seeing them all fit together in their uh different styles So some of the Thors that we are introduced into this story are going to be, like I mentioned, Ultimate Thor, who's our main kind of character in this, who goes by Thorleaf, and his partner is going to be Better Ray Bill. And we also are introduced to some really fun ones. Uh, uh, One is Stormborn, which is actually going to be Storm from the X-Men. For those out there who don't know, Storm is actually not only worthy of Mjolnir, but she even has her own hammer. And that is going to be from X-Men Annual number nine. And we also have King Thor, and that's going to be, he's called the Law Speaker in this story. 
We also have Throg, aka Frog Thor, which the, technically those are two different characters, but that's besides the point. He is going to be our forensic expert, which again, it's just so fun. Like, like all the roles that they have is just super, like I said, super fun. One of our other really main ones is going to be Rune Thor, and he is going to be kind of like the older cop, the kind of grizzled, like, uh, like, I don't play by the rules kind of guy. And I mean, he's just kind of a dick, to be honest with you. We also get Unworthy Thor shows up from uh, Jason Aaron's run. And we also even have uh, Thur, which is T-H-R-R. And he's like a dog Thor or wolf Thor. And I mean, he's there for like two panels, but I just had to mention it because it's super fun. Then he's from uh, Spider-Ham's universe, which is Earth 8311. So all of these stores basically come together. And like I said, uh, there's a string of murders going on. And uh, as the story goes on, you discover that all of these murders are Jane Foster's from different realms of uh, the battle world. Uh, Ultimate Thor and Better Ray Bill are investigating this and they call it an all thing, which basically means like we have to solve this right freaking now or doom is going to eat our ass like he's coming for us so the stakes are high and i just again love this story so much because it's like a cop drama with the mystery in it and as the issues unfold the mystery just kind of gets deeper and deeper with like a conspiracy and i don't really want to spoil too much for you guys because it is it is such a fun story and i want you guys to go and read it yourselves basically this all culminates in like i said uh the jane fosters are being murdered and then we eventually even get donald blake's being murdered and you find out that the reason that they're being murdered is they have some kind of effect on the thors and when a thor encounters a jane foster or a donald blake they the spell of doom kind of breaks away and they can kind not necessarily remember their life of their universe but they know something's not right. And something I really love about this is uh, I, uh, everyone out there knows I'm a huge fan of Jane Foster Thor and the Mighty Thor. And uh, I just love the idea that they have this kind of innate cosmic connection, no matter what universe they're in or if universes explode in incursions, they are connected. And I know some people out there have very strong opinions on Thor and Jane and especially like them being romantic partners romantic or not I again just like the idea that they have this kind of innate connection with each other and the other thing that's super cool is that this is uh this story came out right in the height of Jason Aaron's Thor run and when Jane Foster took over the mantle of uh Mighty Thor and this was right after her identity was revealed. So to have her involved so innately in the story was, like I said, just super cool and just really added to everything that comes after in her story with like Thor 700. And again, this is just such a great story. It's super fun. The mystery, I think, is very well laid out. And uh, it's not until the final issue that everything kind of comes together. And not only that, but for people who are fans of Thor... Again, what more can I say? You have basically every Thor all together uh, investigating this murder mystery. And again, I don't want to spoil too much for you, but there is a little teaser at the very end that 
explains things later on in the Mighty Thor story, specifically War Thor when Volstag gets the ultimate hammer and basically how the ultimate hammer of Thor gets into the 616 universe. So again, if you guys are a fan of Thor or a fan of the Secret Wars event, you really cannot miss this mini. It is, I it, obviously, I'm a little biased, but I think it's one of the best ones. And it's just, again, such a creative and fun story and something different that I haven't really seen much in a Thor comic instead of, you know, leaning into the mythology and stuff. It's just a fun, again, cop drama, which it, it's just so cool. It's so fun. But that's really all I can say about it. Like I said, I don't want to spoil it too much for you guys so you guys can read it for yourself. But that's all I have for you guys. Again, I want to say thank you so much to the Comic Collective Podcast for having me on here to nerd out about this run. Dallas and Lexi, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I hope all of your stacks are fat this week and stay hydrated out there.